Welcome to The Daily Wrap-Up, a concise show dedicated to bringing you the most relevant, independent news as we see it from the last 24 hours. Tuesday, December 6th, 2022. Thank you for joining me today. Hey, it's 420. Look at that. Perfect timing. And we are going to start with some very important information today. I mean, well, actually, I... T- I t- I kind of don't, I kind of take it back. <laughs> we actually inserted the, some developments with the Twitter files that I'm going to talk about right out of the gate only for a moment, just to make some obvious points and maybe go into it deeper if it necessitates that seeing as how there's no more source material than there was the first time. But after that, we're going to talk about some pretty important stuff, some important developments in a couple of different fields. One interesting part in regard to Fauci and Equal Health Alliance, which I'm sure you guys have seen already, but pointing back to some source material that I don't, I, I argue not many people or not more people have seen the conversation through Fox News than this gigantic dump of source material about EcoHealth Alliance and this entire conversation. We're also going to talk about uh, kind of a dance back into something we've talked about from the very beginning of this, but to bring it relevant to today, which is the PCR test and how it was originally set up and that they still on the record have the point that they did not have ice qualified quantified excuse me isolates when they made this test now they have started they claim using different tests and retired the old ones but it still has very important bearing on how this began and how that was used that's going to be important for what we go into afterward in regard to the well first of all a saliva sample test they're pushing which is really just another way to grab your dna and tell you what they think will happen but some interesting developments around flu entirely which don't forget, they're still using PCR tests. Oh, and the, a, a strep problem exploding around the world, sweeping the country. And you find out they're talking about a very small number of cases and deaths, but it's sweeping the country. It's, it's the way that it's being framed. That's also using PCR tests. But we're going to talk about flu and how what we're seeing is this, as I, I predicted, the decoupling of this discussion. Suddenly flu's everywhere again. Weird how it vanishes for two and a half, three years, then just comes back the moment they predict that it will. Well, I, that's sort of unfair, seeing as how they seem to predict it every single year. But what we're seeing today is the sudden increase right alongside the decrease of the COVID-19 focus. And it's very telling, as well as the fact that I argue, I'm not, I, I'm not, I can't predict the future, but mark my words, if this comes to pass, I believe I, I, the what I've described is why this will be happening. And I do predict that this is what will happen, that we'll see pneumonia sort of disappear. It'll be there, but it'll be largely vanished because what that will ultimately be is flu numbers. Just And this is an age-old thing I'll point out again today. The combination of flu and pneumonia, which is like gigantic, like 95% pneumonia, yet it's called flu, and that includes the deaths. That happened during COVID with PIC. It was flu, pneumonia, and COVID-19 as one number, which was the case the entire time. Now, what we're going to talk about today is how this is now suddenly rising in flu, but we're seeing weird associations with flu. And just like everything under the sun, it seems, flu, RSV, monkeypox, now strep throat, none of them are acting like they did moments ago. They're all gigantically more dangerous when normally they're pretty mild. And they, the, the ubiquitous reason, despite nobody being able to prove this, it's an assumption, it's a logical one, but with nothing but the thought, they just go, oh, lockdowns did it. Lockdowns are why people are more sick now. And that's, of course, it, the it, just endless amount of these kind of examples. The, the absurd point that that's exactly what we said back when lockdowns were starting. That's going to hurt people. You're going to make them more sick. You're going to do this X, Y, and Z and everything we said. Conspiracy theory, censor them. That's dangerous medical misinformation. 
And the people that got censored for saying lockdowns would do that, even if it was just in that discussion. No bearing on whether they would stop COVID or anything else. They just said lockdowns will increase these problems. You were censored. Now that it's able to be used to cover up something else, I argue, now they go, oh yeah, of course, that's what happened. Except they censored people when they said it too early. That's every single part of this entire narrative. But now they're also saying that flu is causing things like myocarditis, strokes. Now, are those possible? As I understand it, yes, super incredibly rare. But what does that even mean in the context of the information we're taking from them? But at the end of the day, I'm going to show you something far more important, how possibly the flu shot is causing myocarditis, which shouldn't be surprising when you realize we're talking about very similar inflammatory antigens and so on that lead to these problems. Then you'll find that the only way they patch this to flu is by going, well, it causes inflammation and it looks like this causes that. And I'll go through all this today. And I think very clearly what we're seeing is whether we ever really knew what this was or it was COVID-19 or the flu shot or excuse me, the vaccine for the injection for COVID. I think that ultimately this is just being repackaged however they want. I personally think this is being caused by the things they put out into the world and the actions they took in in conjunction, but far more because of the experimental injections, in my opinion. But let's not pretend like the mask that increased the risk of infection that caused bacterial pneumonia and all these other things we're talking about didn't play a factor. I promise you they did. To what degree? That's debatable. But we'll also talk about the strep discussion, as I said, and how that relates to this and how it's the same game all over again. But we're going to finish with the most important point, I argue, which is the UK data that shows you. And I'm so glad that the expose has continued to stay on this. I, I mean, my, I, I myself haven't. Only I stopped really focusing on it when I when they openly made it clear that they were going to alter it, hide certain parts. Even when they were showing it in the beginning, I was questioning whether it was the full picture. And we always should. When they did that, they made it pretty damn clear that at this point, we, might, we should question whether these are even actual numbers. Just because of how clearly they showed you they're willing to lie to you. However, the expose has continued to break these things down and done a great job doing so, giving you source material and showing you that their own numbers... Even if they're dis, I mean, I don't know why they would lie and show you that these things are worse than they want you to know they are, unless that's the agenda. I guess we'll find out in the future, but it's showing you that kids are exponentially in more danger of dying specifically from what they call COVID-19 if they had the COVID injection than those that didn't. And this is their data. I'll show it to you today and you can come to your own conclusions about it, which they hate and finish with a couple of interesting points that are kind of funny, some kind of scary and things that are unrelated. We'll get there in the end today. So let's start with this article that I just, or rather this show that I just did yesterday, just to make the point about the main over, the main point of this show, how it connects to today. First of all, this show got instantaneously shut down on YouTube yesterday. In we, I think we were five minutes into the show, or maybe it was 30 minutes, very early in the show, got shut down on YouTube. I personally believe it's because of the blood discussion. One of the really important conversations that's being kind of muddied and, and mixed together with a bunch of mis and disinformation, which does exist. A lot of it usually on people don't even realize they're doing it, but they have a right to. That's free speech. The point being, things like the documentaries that come out that kind of mix and muddle this stuff together. And it's it's obvious that there's some very big issues with a lot of a lot of some work that goes out there today, whether it's intentional or not that ends up conflating very easily debunkable information with very real stuff. And that whether on accident or not is being used to dismiss very important things, including the titles themselves, which seem to cover up the searches for these things. Hard to miss these things. But the point being is that the, the blood conversation is one that's been really kind of couched in this conspiracy theory discussion, despite undeniably provable information. And that's all we stick to. 
This conversation was important because what it shows you is a German study, a gigantic German study that came to the undeniable conclusion, as far as they're concerned, that they can tell 100% between blood that's in a vaccinated individual and not. And I don't even know why that's hard to establish, seeing as how you can show, as they even point out, marketed changes in the blood, different substances they're finding in these things. I mean, it's at some point you have to, you can't just go conspiracy because I'm told to think that. These aren't just some conspiracy theorists in their mother's basements. These are high-level scientists and doctors. And people like that can be wrong. They can lie like anybody else. But the fact that it's being so quickly dismissed is very telling. The other part was how Dr. Peter McCullough is is pointing at peer-reviewed science. And I went on to show you more peer-reviewed science that backs this up from JAMA Network and elsewhere, that mRNA is, is definitely transferring from vaxxed to unvaxxed in many different ways. Basic ways, including saliva, blood, and breast milk, as well as, I argue, this was my theorizing, if we know spike proteins are shedding in the same way, according to the experts, the one, the, the Luigi Warren himself, then we should ask the same question here. Now, in any case, all of these things are wildly important to go into what we're talking about today, and including the Twitter limited hangout, which is what I very much think that is. Now, I was going to start today with this one reference to Twitter and not going any deeper because I was going to point out how this person was saying he has the information, duh, like we're supposed to know that. And then when I said he missed the point, he goes, what kind of sources are you looking for? <laughs> like, what do you even mean by source material? That's not even what I brought it up for to make fun of somebody, which was to that was to simply be the precursor to the point that let me demonstrate to you what source material is and what we should have an, a bare minimum of. But before I come to that point, let's establish the same point from this from this newly posted. 51 minutes ago, Twitter files supplemental. Now, as far, I don't even, this is not being called Twitter files part two, or I don't see how this is even considered Twitter file. So just to be clear, just to sum this up quite quickly. I, I mean, I guess I should just, just like I did last time. It's not that many tweets, just for the record. I'm going to quickly read through these so you guys understand what this is. There's nothing more than what you're looking at right here. It's not like you're going to click on each one and find a plethora of tweets and source material. It's the same thread. It just goes from one to the next, as you can see, right? Next one says, we can. You go back to the beginning, it's the same point. Just to make that clear for maybe those that aren't familiar with Twitter. This is all you get. Statements by Matt, which could mean good, could mean bad. Who knows? Honestly, I think Matt Taibbi was not a terrible person choosing this because I do think he's done great work in the past on things like the, the 2008 collapse and so on. But, you know, he's somebody that's, in my opinion... Well, let's put it this way. We should question everybody, shouldn't we? Including me, anybody. So it's not even about Matt's reputation and so on. I'm just pointing that out for the, you know, I see him as sort of kind of, you know, more so close to the corporate media discussion than anything else. But that's that's neither here nor there in the context of us questioning everything and waiting for source material. So him being, I mean, you could even just, let's just say Matt Taibbi was the best possible choice. It could be anybody you want. It should be regarded the same way. It's nothing but tweets and screenshots. And that's it. Now, that's not to say that what they're talking about is not real. In fact, as I've made clear in my discussion, I tend to think most of what they're lining out is pretty much what I thought was the truth before this anyway. And most of it was already proven as far as I'm concerned long before these tweets were posted. So my point is why everyone is acting like this is either everything or nothing based on, I guess, the assumption that it's either everything or nothing. That's it. Because they've all, my point is anybody doing that so far, especially the high level pundits talking, you know, the left and right Twitter and social media people that are the, you know, the movers and shakers of the left and the right, as well as the the media and the journalists out there. If they're pointing at this like that, they're exposing themselves. 
they're exposing themselves to being advantageous assumers at the very least towing these lines because it's not there. It is simply statements thus far. My point was the laptop and everything else are very important conversations. That's not what this is about. I argue this is about training people to take an intermediary when it comes to information. Where are the files? These are called Twitter files for crying out loud. Now, I get the point that I understand that these are files, as we're supposed to assume, that Elon has that he shared with Matt. Matt's looked at them, and he's breaking you out some of these tidbits. But if you're assuming that just because, well, Matt's trustworthy or Elon wouldn't do that, you're assuming. That's all we're pointing out. If it turns out tomorrow he dumps all the information out, I'll say, thank God it's transparent. I'm assuming we'll look through it and come to our own conclusions. But at this point, it's ridiculous to continue doing this. I mean, I almost feel like I shouldn't read it, but let's go through it. Twitter files supplemental. On Friday, the first installment of the Twitter files was published here. Now, I mean, it was a bunch of text and screenshots that didn't really elucidate that much other than the argument that the government didn't have any influence, which I find hard to believe. I mean, it's more nuanced than that, but the point being that he didn't see evidence, as far as he sees, the caveat, of government influence of certain things like the elections, rather just suggestive. But the point being that both sides had the ability to essentially lean on the platform to try to get what they want and censor people and so on. And I mean, outside of that, I don't see much else that was that explosive, to be quite honest. And anyway, the point is, they published a bunch of text, and they're supposed to assume that there's source material that proves what he's saying behind that that nobody's seen yet. We expected to publish more over the weekend. Many wondered why there was a delay. We can now tell you part of the reason why, on Tuesday, Twitter Deputy General Counsel and former FBI General Counsel Jim Baker was fired. Among reasons, vetting the first batch of Twitter files without knowledge of the new management. So apparently, somebody who's involved in the, the Twitter Deputy General Counsel was fired, Jim Baker, and was involved with this vetting process. Now, I mean, every, see, my frust, you know what my frustration is at the core part of this is that we are going from part to part of this, and we're getting so far removed from the fact that we haven't seen anything to verify what's going on yet. That's not even to say that I disagree with it. I mean, that's my point. Is I, for, for, for all you know, I agree with everything that's being said. I would still have the same stance. So now we're talking about somebody that got fired and this whole process and what that means and... E- how do we not know that Elon and him are making this up the whole time? Sure, that's probably unlikely because for a million different reasons. Other people would point out that they were lying. I'm just pointing things out that we don't know. And the fact is that this person, Jim Baker, and, and Elon's process, the point what I'm about to read to you suggests that Elon wasn't involved and it was kind of caught off guard. But he's the one that tweeted he was involved with the fact-checking process. I don't. This whole thing feels very untrustworthy to me personally. Now, that doesn't even have to mean that Matt's aware of that. Like clearly this is advantageous to his career or maybe, maybe not depending on what side you feel like you're on. But the point is going forward, the process for producing the Twitter files involved delivery uh, to two journalists, which now we're clearly seeing Barry Weiss of all people, miss, miss Assad toady. I only point that out because it's the only, it's one of the most ridiculous moments I remember of her, but the point, somebody she worked for the Washington post was very clearly towing the lines about how you weren't like the whole point about Assad Toady was that she was calling Colsey Gabbard and Assad Toady as if she's a follower of Assad blindly simply because she was pointing out what we now know are verifiable facts. Great journalism, right? These are the kind of people that we're supposed to rely on or she is in this case. I don't trust it at all. It says via a lawyer close to new management. However, after the first initial batch, things became complicated. Now, here's what's interesting. Doesn't that seem to suggest, based on that statement, that Barry Weiss has been involved from the beginning? Right? That's We're talking about the first one. So why did it only get brought up secondarily as if she's now the second part to be involved? 
I don't trust anything about this, guys. There's something very fishy going on. Over the weekend, while we both dealt with obstacles to new searches, what obstacles? It was Barry Weiss who discovered that the person in charge of releasing the files was someone named Jim. I guess the assumption is that Jim was being the obstacle. When she called to ask Jim's last name, the answer came back, Jim Baker. And it says, my jaw hit the floor, says Weiss. Okay, what am I missing here? Okay, so this guy was the Twitter, Twitter deputy general counsel. He was fired now. And apparently it's saying that he was involved vetting the first batch of Twitter files without the knowledge of new management. So he's involved in the vetting process. I guess the assumption is that he was making it more difficult for this to happen. What is the, why would her draw drop, drop that somebody working at Twitter was involved? I, am I, what am I missing? Please tell me in the chat if I'm missing something. Now it says the first batch of files both reporters received was marked Spectra Baker emails. Does anybody else know what that pertains to or what that's supposed to mean? Was to be a big, oh my God moment? I don't get it. Is there something I'm missing? I bet you it would make it much more clear if we had source material to go through so we could make sense of these things. Now, maybe there's something I'm missing. Finally, it says Baker is a controversial figure. He has been something of a zealot of FBI controversies dating back to 2016. Right, but he's working at Twitter. Still, up until very recent, just now, apparently, from the Steele dossier, to the alpha server mess. He resigned in 2018 after investigation into leaks in the, into the press. I mean, it doesn't surprise me at all. I don't trust anybody working at these, including these people, or specifically Twitter employees, but also these people. The, the news that Baker was reviewing the Twitter files surprised everyone involved, to say the least. So a lawyer, a general counsel working with Twitter, I don't even understand why that's such a shock to people and how Elon wouldn't know about that. It says new Twitter chief Elon Musk acted quickly to exit Baker Tuesday. Now, I'm not saying that what I might maybe the answer to my questions is, yes, Elon was kind of lying about fact checking and he wasn't involved and he didn't know and action was just taken. And that's the whole story. OK, so then why is this such a big deal? Shouldn't we just move forward now that he's out of the way? And I just this all seems like we're watching a soap opera with nothing to back up what's being said. Reporters re resume searches through Twitter files material. A lot of it reporters. Reporters resumed? You mean the two of you? Or is there more people involved that we don't know about? The next installment of the Twitter files will appear on Barry Weiss's Twitter account. Stay tuned. Great. Great. How do you feel about that, guys? Do you feel like this is breaking the story? I mean, I just don't understand why... I, I gotta stop saying that. I'm beginning to think that most everybody can see right through this. But if not, then I'm losing faith in humanity because this is utter ridiculousness, which still could translate to something happening tomorrow. My simple point is that treating this or the first part as something other than we'll wait and see until we see something that proves this is ridiculous. Just my God, my God. And I think people are already, like people that respond to this acting like, well, what do you want from this? Like, what do you think is going to happen? They just, I think they've already lost. They've already gotten taken by the social engineering to think that this is enough. Well, don't they have a blue check? Aren't they an authority? I mean, a guy's a millionaire, doesn't he? I mean, it's the, the kind of logic that people are throwing at this blows my mind. Now, to the same point, remember my tweet from yesterday. Why are so few pointing out that these supposed Twitter files are just tweets with screenshots? I'm not saying it's all false, merely that no one knows but Matt and Elon, I guess. No one honest should be taking this at face value until we see source material. And again, people that were assuming that I was casting doubt on the entire laptop story, which seems to be the central point of this, I'm not really sure why that is. Other than that was kind of the point on that first thread that wasn't backed up by source material, even though that story was proven before we even got here. We're acting like I was undermining that story. I wasn't. I think it's important.
It's just crazy. People are taking this at face value. Elon's got the material. Duh. Yeah, that's my point, dude, because it's not there. We can't see it yet. But again, to the main point, what kind of source are you looking for? Material. <laughs> any kind, in fact, my guy, any kind. But at my point, if you have to ask that question, I mean, pff, there's not even this point responding because clearly you're not, you don't understand the reality of this. But here, just in case you want to check it out and you're watching the show, this, guys, this is what sharing source material actually looks like. This is Dr. Andrew G. Huff. Now, we, we referenced him the other day in regard, this is the guy that was, was releasing information and apparently has been for a while now about uh, the lab and his information as he sees it, basically showing that it was that you, either way you look at it. And this is the point I've been making the entire time. If you feel this is a real thing and it came from lab, which is what the arguments tend to be when you look at this from the perspective of this is a real thing, then, then you cannot look at this without implicating the U.S. government as well as the Chinese government. I mean, honestly, far more the U.S. government, and that's not my opinion. It's because of the moving parts, because of the NIH, because of New Equal Alliance, because of, I mean, it's just oh, the whole damn thing. North Carolina University, and yes, and then outsourced to Wuhan, in which people from the U.S. worked. I mean, it's just, it's not hard to see that it's more so one side than the other, even if it was outsourced to China, which that's what we're going to get to in a minute about how the U.S. has essentially been caught for doing that well past the time they said we weren't supposed to do this research anymore. Right. But yeah. And see, somebody says, oh, this guy's a planted CIA agent, whatever people look. The point is question everything, guys. I don't know why we would assume that about him until we know that. Right. Let's not be the same people in reverse. Right. It's really irrelevant, in my opinion, in the in the case of looking at what he's presenting and being critical about it. I mean, as far as basically look at it this way, you should assume everybody's a CIA agent. Right. And then work from there. <laughs> that's not because that's the way I want to live. That's just the, the way that reality is. We don't know. These people are caught lying to us to assume that you wouldn't have to assume. Like, it's question everything while entertaining all possibilities. But here's what he said. Now, it's it, the, the interesting part about this is not about the actual discussion. I just went over that the other day, but about the information that he shows. And it's in a whole hell of a lot of information. He says, here's a link to download all of his files from EcoHealth Alliance. These files contain the unredacted originals of many documents. I have not altered the files in any way. Again, right there, you have to assume that's the case, including the terrible naming conventions of these files, right? So same point. You always have to take things through the lens of, you know, questioning what could have happened. The bottom line is when you look at this, it's a WeTransfer link. It's, a, it's gigantic files with all sorts of different information that I haven't even had time to go through other than a quick cursory look, which I'm going to. My point, though, is this is what source material looks like. Download the link, look at it. It has all sorts of information, reports, and documents directly from EcoHealth Alliance, directly from the government. It's important. Now, it's in, just reading the rest of the thread, it says it includes an investment presentation on the collecting coronavirus samples, gain of function, humanized mice, to make medical uh, countermeasures presented to, in, to InQtel, the CIA's venture capital firm, which succinctly explains how EcoHealth planned to conduct this R&D. I'll be posting a more organized and annotated version of these documents on his plot on his website later this week. It will be easier to find relevant information in these documents. I am a man of my word, he says. I cop I gave copies of these documents to Congress, the Senate, and journalists over a year ago. And it's posted on brownstone.org. Or the conversation of what they're saying, I mean. Uh, and it says, as we now know, many of these journalists were paid to run interference on the investigation into the origins of COVID. It's very interesting. Now what's what what's telling to me is the very clear difference 
between what it looks like to have a gigantic dump of information that you can then look through and come to your own conclusions about, and then this. That we're just, I guess, supposed to take at face value. Even though right now, Twitter Files 2 is trending. <laughs> Twitter Files 2! I am trying. I was trying to come up with a pithy movie subcategory there, but I didn't come to mind, so... <laughs> You know, finding some, I don't know, some kind of joke, you know, what's the, what's the, the Mighty Ducks thing? I was trying to think of that. I can't remember now. <laughs> My point is to make a joke about how stupid it is to say Twitter files too, like some kind of part two of a movie when this is not even started yet. But that's what people are thinking. Like this is already happening. Now, to take one step from that, I find it very revealing that now of all times, Fauci on the record as of November 23rd is saying that he didn't know what was going on. That he literally was in the dark about Nico Alt Alliance. I can't even believe he thinks that that's going to fly with anybody because of how much he has sidestepped this conversation because of, I mean, he could, so th- this is what the video says right here. Are we real, We're not going to ask why he waited this long to make this statement? Possibly because of what this information has to show. I don't know. You guys can look at it for yourselves. But the point is, it seems to have been out for a while now. So what, or that's maybe an important example of how information like this can be suppressed where it's been there, but nobody knows it's there, right? In any case, there's something going on here. Now, this for those that are questioning, and rightly so, the origin of this or whether it's there at all, this doesn't have to be all or nothing about where this means it's real, therefore I'm going to plug my ears. Listen to what it's being discussed here and simply on the idea of the collaboration between EcoHealth Alliance, Dr. Fauci, the NIH, NIAID, and Wuhan Lab whatever they may have been working on. Clearly, they're doing something in these labs, right? So let's, let's ask that question and for the moment put aside the, what the focal point of what that would have been, just simply whether or not what they're doing is dangerous in some way to human life around it. And I think that's an easy sell for people with what's going on today. Fauci said, I wanted to be briefed on the scope of what our collaborations were and the kind of work that we were funding in China. I wanted to know what the nature of that work was. I didn't like the fact that I was completely in the dark about the totality of the work, work that were being done. Victor, we've been asking the NIH about this phone call for over a year and had heard nothing. Are we to believe that Tony Fauci knew nothing about the nature of that gain-of-function research that was being done at the behest of the EcoHealth Alliance with a grant from the NIH in Wuhan? I think even his redacted emails show that that's not true, that he knew all about it. And I think the paranoia that he had in insisting to almost the present day that this virus originated in the wild uh, shows that. And we have now all these articles by former New York Times uh, science writer Nicholas Wade, Peter Quay's book, the latest one by Dr. Huff. And the consensus he knows now is that it's very likely that this virus... Uh, originated Wuhan, but I think part of our problem, Laura, is that it's so huge, it's staggering the truth, it's existential in the sense that did the United States give money through the, the NIH and Dr. Fauci's institute at the National Institute of Allergies and Infectious Diseases and route it through Echo Health to avoid uh, that it was not legal in the United States and that money ended up in Wuhan under the control of the People's Liberation Army and had some role in contributing to this. So right there, before he finishes that sentence, yes, 
100% yes. Like, there's not even a question here. And this is what I'm kind of baffled about even on Fox. Like, did he do what we can literally map out, follow the money line? Like, the U.S. government verifiably under oh, long before, but Trump and Biden have continued to outsource gain-of-function research, you can call it whatever you want, in China and elsewhere around the world. As of right now, even during Trump's administration, I routinely make this point. The moment that Trump supposedly, or I guess did on the surface, cancel funding to that one lab in Wuhan, at that moment, there was at least five or six other labs doing exactly the same kind of research in other places of China. And the same involvement of the government and NIH, nobody cared about those. So it was just because we looked at that one and suddenly people knew about Wuhan. So we'll, we'll pretend to stop funding on that, but maintain the other funding. Or maybe Trump didn't know that. And he thought he, I mean, who knows? The point is to, I, to ask the question, did they use this as a secondary way to fund this research? Absolutely. It's undeniable. There's no question. That's still happening, by the way. That's the crazy part. Happened under Trump's, happened under Biden. It's going to keep happening. It's happening in Ukraine, I argue, based on all everything that we have. But the point is that he then goes on to say, and did that contribute in some way to what we're seeing today? Now, that I want to be clear about that first part, that that is 100% sure. Of the People's Liberation Army and had... And, and that was the other thing. Is that, So we're talking about them funding and get... And like, it wasn't like that they put this money over in the hands of China and then China did this, which is kind of the way that sounds. Because we have to remember, they were there were U.S. entities involved on the ground. And so too were they when the WHO went in to investigate. Because I made this point in the same in the beginning. Trump said, they didn't let us know. We didn't have any information. Well, guess what? The WHO, when they go to do things like this, well, guess what? They pull personnel from the groups that fund them, and it's usually based on the amount of funding. So the more you fund, the more people that go along. Guess what? The U.S. was the predominant funder. So it's no question that people that went to investigate with the WHO were there in part on behalf of the United States government. Right. And so those people there are we're supposed to pretend wouldn't let the U.S. government know what was going. Come on. I mean, it's such an obvious game that's being played. And we're going to get into the part about the genetic sequence and how this played out for Moderna and still make the same point back to Trump's administration and forward about how, you know, bad guy China. But we're going to trust everything they give us. Right. For all the stuff we're working on and warp speed that Trump still pretends is his shining jewel on his crown of his of his career. Control of the People's Liberation Army and had some role in contributing to this virus that's infected 800 million people, probably double that if we had the accurate figures and killed over 70 million. That's it. Or, you know, maybe not at all close to that. And we're being lied and conflated. But, you know, like this is the kind of stuff we talk about how we have, you know, Fox or these different when you're stuck in the paradigm, right? You're going to go truth, 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 lie, 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 right? It's like, come on, or at least half the toe the line. Right? I'm not saying that's a lie. I'm saying we don't know because we or I can all I could promise you it's actually lower than that based on the argument that they've said in the beginning, these liberal numbers. And we're going to include things like or even the fact that they move the secondary, the the um the contributing cause of death kind of stuff. And remember, if it's covid was the secondary thing, they made it the first thing. Right. So the, the bottom line is you can just be given a PCR test on your deathbed and that becomes you died of covid. They've admitted all of this. So that guarantees these numbers are going to be less Then we know that they've you. I mean, I could go off forever on all the examples of how these things are subjective at best, which they've admitted to on the record. And then moments later becomes an absolute number. And if you challenge it, you're a conspiracy theorist. Right. My point is that that is not accurate. But if you're listening to all this and you're going, yeah, this sounds like then you get sold the idea that in the back of your mind without realizing it, that, yeah, I guess this was pretty serious if that many people died. But is that what happened? I, I don't know how anybody can act like we know any of this stuff for sure with how many things they've been shown to be lying about, 
suddenly realize they were, you know, wrong about or also being caught lying and framing it as they were mistaken. It's it's everywhere. Every single part of this entire narrative has been, at least in one way or another, shown to have been wrong, lied about, misrepresented the entire time. And now we're at a point when you compare what we're currently saying to what was happening in the beginning. It's like it's like a different world. Everything from it stays in your arm. It doesn't go into your blood. Six feet, five feet, three days, four weeks, three months. Everything's ridiculous. But we're pretending like trust the science, right? It's a staggering thing to even comprehend that we don't know what to do with it. And I think that he's he's got a he's a deer in the headlights figure now. He's becoming a James Comey with 245 times Comey couldn't remember. It's the same trajectory that these people are just unwinding before our eyes because their culpability is so enormous that we can't even comprehend that anybody with that responsibility would be so reckless. It's just, it's just, it's just so many things. Uh, you know, the, the problem here, guys, is that we can continue to see that there is involvement. Like this conversation wants to pit this on Fauci alone. That's typically what they do. It's easy, right? But it goes long and way above Fauci. And we have to understand that. We really need to see where this really goes. But back to the main point for him to be like, I was in the dark about, I, I don't even know. It's just, think about, the, as always, they'd rather be seen as incompetent than criminal. If they can just pretend like, oh, he's just a bumbling idiot and he didn't even know, even though it's his job, make, him, you know, make yourself look bad to avoid prison time, if that's even on the table for these people. But to bring this over into the relation to the PCR test, and you'll see why in the context of what they're saying here. And this is, first of all, the, the problem with a lot of this stuff is, you know, so this is being reposted as a new thing, December 5th, 2022, FDA documents admit COVID PCR test was developed without isolation COVID samples for test calibration. Now, we've talked about this way back in 2020, and I'll show you again what this means. Now, it, see, the problem is a lot of people will share this and engagement and without even looking past the title because it aligns with what they think is happening, which is a problem no matter who's right or if it's right or not. Or, you know, it's, we need to be better about this stuff. Now, the, pro- the point is, first of all, this is an article they're sharing. Oh, that's, I don't, that's right. I don't even have it up. I closed it. It's an article that I'm not too too. Pu- happy with, to be quite honest. There's a lot of stuff in there, but it's from 2021. That information is pointing back to is from 2020. And this is what we're going to get to. This is the document that we've shown you all the way back in the beginning, the very original, uh, excuse me, 2021. The, the, the original CDC 2019 novel coronavirus real-time RT-PCR diagnostic panel information instructions for use. Now, you'll remember that we did this, and you'll see that it says in here, since no quantified virus isolates of, which was at the time called 2019 NCOV, which is SARS-CoV-2, were available for CDC use at the time the test was developed. Now, just to make it more clear for those that have a thousand different opinions about what they're supposed to read that as because of what Twitterverse told them, here's their fact check. Posts mislead on PCR test development. I always love when their fact checks prove your case. <laughs> That's the best way these are working. February 20th, 2022. So the point is, they're being forced to fact check this again because it's being reposted. So, hey, maybe there is some point to doing it like that. But I still argue it's better to keep people informed about the full picture, the time frame, and everything like that. But claim. COVID-19 PCR tests weren't developed using samples of the coronavirus. And instead, and here's their caveat, and this is always how they play this game. Right, This is the claim right there. PCR tests weren't developed using samples of coronavirus. That's it. That's the claim. That's the actual claim. Instead, detect something else. Now, the entire article fact checks this one part. 
You see how they play that game? This is one of the most obvious examples. Right? The real fact check is about, well, no, it doesn't detect something else, and it really does detect what they said it did, but did it? was it developed using, yes, it was, and they admit that right here. So there's two parts to this, and I'll read it next. That means they did not have isolates when this happened, and I've proven that 10 times over, and we'll go through it again. The question is, did they ever after that? I still argue they didn't. I don't think there's ever been an actual isolation of this for many different reasons. Now, that's a long conversation to have, but the, you know, coach postulates and so on. And yes, people say that's no longer valid, but it's still considered the gold standard. So you can't just pretend it's not the moment you can't make it work, right? That's how this is ultimately playing out. But they fact check if it detected something else, which undermines the reality that, oh, again, well, the point was one, that they didn't have isolates, but two, if they used genetic sequence that I'll prove to you came from China, that means the injections were based on a sequence sent from China with nothing else. The PCR test used to detect it was based on a sequence from China and nothing else. This is all while they're screaming China bad guy, mind you. They pretend like they don't know this. This You got to be a special kind of stupid to not realize that this was bad guy China narrative while this was clearly happening. So both of them were being led. Now, you could, if you want to, from a partisan angle, you could try to make this about China tricked everybody. That's certainly possible. But it, I mean, oh my God, that's, I mean, you're going to pretend that our government was that easy to be tricked. And that, I don't know why you think that's a positive spin, but either way, all of this was based on something that was just genetic sequence. Now, the question then goes forward, if that's the truth, and it is, and they admit to it in here, whether or not it was isolated after that, what, it, what does that even matter? Did it ever matter? The answer is no. Because if it didn't need to be changed after that happened, then it didn't have any bearing. So the real question is, are they still doing that? And was it ever isolated? And is that what this is always about? And the, the platform, the, P, the, P, the mRNA platform, or the new bivalent stuff we're talking about, that's what this is. They're trying to get you okay with just pumping in a new code and pumping out a new injection. No safety testing, nothing. They already just tried to pull it. And guess what? Only 12% of people are stupid enough to play the game. So they pulled back. But it's not done. I'll prove this to you today. But here's what it says. Their assessment, partly false. I always love when they do that. A PCR test created by the CDC at the beginning of the pandemic was developed by the CDC, by the way, with genetic sequencing of the coronavirus rather than actual samples, period. So that's the truth, right? Just so it shouldn't be the truth because AP said so. It is the truth, regardless of what they say, but they did say it too. But experts say that is a normal method. <laughs> Great. So their fact check is to find an expert that says that's okay. And they go, see, we told you. Because that's not what, well, that's what they said too. And the test was still designed to detect the virus and was proven effective in studies. Okay. Well, was designed to detect the virus. Well, that they're not all they're saying is because that's the sequence that we were given, and you'll you can read it for yourself. So their point is almost is like they're using the argument to prove their own point and acting like that challenges it, but was proven effective in studies. But was it though? Right? Because we we've seen these studies, we've debunked these going forward, regardless of whether it did or not. It was based on a genetic sequence. So what does it matter? The real point is that they can make this happen. To support the claim, social media users shared the instructions for use we just showed you for the PCR or the well, the PCR test, the polymerase chain reaction, COVID-19 test released by the CDC. As the virus was first emerging in the U.S., the document notes that no quantified virus isolates were available when this was developed. But the test is still accurate, they say. You know, no, no link. I guess that's just the, author the authoritative statement from AP because they know and you're supposed to take it at face value and was still developed. 
to detect the coronavirus that causes COVID-19. Well, yeah, that's the claim. And because the experts said so, you will get was developed for that. They took the genetic code and they made it. And they said genetic code is, is that. So this is what it's made to fight. Simple. That's not proving anything and not something else. And this is where they debunk something, even though that's not actually the argument. The only where that place that comes from is to say that this was similar to something else and it could have been. And that's what they choose to debunk. A hypothesis. But it says the CDC did not test or did not CDC test did not use an actual sample of coronavirus because samples were unavailable at the early time in the pandemic. But guess what? They've never been available because you continue to ask when you when you FOIA request. And this has happened all the way up until I think as recent as this year. And people get the response where it says we have on file no quantified isolates. Okay, well, who does then? I've seen a lot of papers talking about it, but I haven't seen that actually happen. And even if people say they have, the point is when you dig in, you tend to find out that it wasn't technically purified from everything else around it. Therefore, not isolated. Therefore, haven't met Koch postulates, Koch's postulates, which means it hasn't by definition been isolated. But it says, however, the agency insisted, instead relied on genetic sequencing of the virus to determine the test effectiveness. So my point from before, how do you know it's effective if you use the genetic sequence to test for its effectiveness? I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. This is, we, te- we, we inspected ourselves, we investigated ourselves, and we found ourselves not guilty. It's a self-serving re- conclusion. All, it says, quote, although not isolated from clinical samples, the material used to analytically validate the test is representative of SARS-CoV-2. Yeah, the genetic sequence. I guess we're supposed to believe that. And demonstrates the ability of the test to detect SARS-CoV-2 in patient samples. My same point. It's, we don't want something representative of this. We want to, I mean, the, the point is, if it's a test, this should be testing for something. You damn well better be using the thing you're testing for to prove that it actually is effective. As the AP has previously reported, tests authorized for emergency use in the U.S. That's okay. Don't forget. Not approved. Emergency authorized, which by definition, as much as they try to run from it, means we don't know all the information. We assume that the benefits we do know outweigh the risks that we do know. And the implicit point is that we don't know all the benefits or all the risks. It's right on all their pages, whether FDA or CDC, when you look up what EUA means. But they just apparently hope you're too stupid to look at it, which most of you are not. And that's what's making this fall apart for them. But it says, in addition to the studies, oh, it says that they, they authorized, the emergency use authorization in the U.S. must meet strict criteria for accuracy. That's not even true. I mean, it blows me away the kind of stuff they can get away with. The emergency use authorization is not even remotely as strict in regard to the approval, which, which is what I just explained. In addition to studies demonstrating that the CDC test only detected the coronavirus, the te- which, by the way, it's funny they say the coronavirus all the way at this point which, by the way, the coronavirus could apply to any one of these coronaviruses in the context of what those words mean. It could mean the cold and so on. So it's an odd choice of term there. The test also underwent a clinical study, quote, evaluating respiratory samples from patients suspected of COVID-19. Right. That's supposed to sell me? So now you take something suspected of COVID-19 and test that with your genetic sequence and say it all matches. So think about this. You're taking something that hasn't been proven to detect COVID-19, right? And you're using it to say people have COVID-19. Then you say, well, based on what we use this to point at, we look at somebody else that's suspected of the same things because of this test and then use that test and say, there you go. Perfect little circle of information. No, this is the analogy of using a, like, this is what somebody said before, taking a, a birth control test 
or a birth control, yeah, test, or no, excuse me, a, a pregnancy test, and using a pregnancy test to test a pregnancy test. Like the point was, like the point is, it doesn't make any sense. These things, you can't, you, using the test to test itself is ridiculous. That's ult, I mean, ultimately what's happening here. People far more educated on this topic than me have made these arguments. Now it says hundreds of different COVID-19 tests have since been authorized by the FDA. Authorized, not approved, still. And all that were authorized by the agency after May 2020 were, quote, validated with samples of the coronavirus. Right. Samples that we're claiming are this because of what we already used to make that argument, which was those first ones. <laughs> right. Because that makes sense. Meanwhile, the CDC announced in July 2021 that it would retire the test that's been used to build the entire illusion. Citing the newer test that they've adapted on its back. Great. So it still uses the original information to build off of. So if you begin with bad information, you're going to output bad information. Either way, this is their fact check. The point is correct. They did develop this test, which was used based on genetic sequence from China to begin the whole damn thing and then made vaccines based on the same sequence to continue to hurt everybody. And just in case you forgot that part of it, here is the now now censored Moderna page. Here's what it looks like today. And I'm actually blown away by this because of this was there. They were proud of this, right? This is our page showing us the hard work we've done. And then when they realized what it was exposing, I argue, this is what it turns into now. A, a completely different page that all the way to the bottom, which is technically here, doesn't even get into that part of it. There's not clickable information. This is a very minimized point. Here's what it actually was saying. And by the way, interestingly enough, look, they even took that down. How funny is that? Now it's just a blank square. You know why? Because that video was Moderna's information about their shot, which was censored on YouTube. <laughs> not making that up. But January 11th, 2020, Chinese authorities shared the genetic sequence of the novel coronavirus. Right. The same China that Trump was calling out for not telling us what we need to know. Right. Okay. Well, China gave them that China genetic sequence. Moderna, Pfizer, they all used it. Every one of them. Okay. Then... Two days later, two days, they finalized the sequence. The mRNA-1273, which, by the way, is still the original shot they're giving right now, still, to this day. Two days after China sends them genetic sequence, they already made their injection. By February 7th, they'd already actually literally made it into vials. By March 16th, they'd already injected one person. Two days, they already had this done. Two days. The point is that we know as a matter of fact that they hadn't isolated it by that point. We know that they did the same thing with the PCR test. And that's the question is whether they even ever did, mind you, right? But let's not forget that I've played this many times as well, that China even admitted in an interview with MSNBC that they hadn't isolated it when this happened. And why has the data not been shared? No, they didn't isolate as a virus. That's the issue. No, they didn't isolate as a virus. That's the issue. Is China's CDC speaking on the record? So how do you explain this? Are we going to pretend that Trump and everybody else in the government didn't know this was happening? I mean, it's certainly possible Trump was kept in the dark. That's always possible. But so the entire illusion was begun with Chinese information when they hadn't isolated this, which has, become, has continued to this day. So again, whether or not they ever did isolate it is pretty irrelevant, isn't it? I don't mean irrelevant in the general sense, but irrelevant in the context of this point. Bear with me for one second. I have to delete these bots in the chat for a second. Oh, that is interesting. That's strange. Just in case it matters to people, 
I've got a chat open on the right, which shows a bunch of bots. I opened up the actual YouTube page and it doesn't show the bots. Clearly they're there. I can see them. What's that mean? That's pretty interesting. In any case, I guess ignore it for now, guys, since they're, it's these sex bots that come in there and go free nude pictures. And it's all about trying to make us look like we're doing something wrong as usual. Or you get the people to come in and go like racial things and bad guy Jews and whatever else. Like that's, it's just trying to make people look, think that's what we're talking about. In any case, I find this to be wildly relevant to where we are today. And this is why they hid this from people now, right? So now they're putting out a with the world's first saliva test to predict chance of developing serious diseases. Now, to, to people, that kind of sounds like come in and we'll tell you whether or not you're going to get sick. But that's not even what this is. This is a genetics marker kind of thing where they go, oh, well, look, you're predisposed to this problem. You've got this kind of idea. So we're just, there's another DNA grab then? Another another genetic bioengineering look? I mean, remember when this all started, they put out a call for people's genetic bio, genetic bio, yeah, genetic material for bioengineering. I, I, the whole 23andMe thing should have woke people up. But this scares me where this is going, right? But so the point ultimately is that they're driving us into a new direction while all of this was built on an illusion that I argue possibly, really possibly wasn't even there to begin with based on that information, and that we saw these things conflated with the data, like Denny Rancourt points out, and now we're looking at everything else around to make it whatever, the, the, back, the injection side effects, the other things this has caused, or the immune system dysregulation that's caused people to explode with other problems, all of it's being labeled whatever they want it to be, and now suddenly flu is becoming the culprit again because they choose to. That's very concerning to me. Now let's watch this video to show you where I think this is going next. Where they're so this we're we're in the biosecurity state. That's what this feels like to me. The simplest of tests to predict your medical future. From a saliva sample, scientists can now establish a patient's chances of developing serious illnesses. This is one of the most amazing and exciting developments that will reshape preventative healthcare for the future. A person's DNA is extracted from the sample. Their age, family and medical history are evaluated and a risk profile is built. This test in combination with the clinical risk factors and all of the genetic markers that we've identified is a world first. It's absolutely game changing. By their GP, a patient is advised whether they have a low, moderate or high chance of developing up to six conditions, including coronary artery disease and type 2 diabetes, as well as breast, ovarian, colorectal and prostate cancers. Great. So heart problems and cancers. What, what, what are causing those to explode right now? I think we need a better tool than just going by family history. And uh, I've been searching for this. The results are being used to identify high-risk patients who need more regular checkups. We want to make sure we catch a breast cancer early because early diagnosis saves lives. Screening for the six conditions costs $500. Now, why, like, why just these six conditions? Like, and this weird focus on this. Like, I, I, this definitely, to me, feels like more effort to try to scoop up more bio information for whatever purpose. Right. The point, though, is they're making this out to be something profound and new. Now, I'll show you some stuff next. And the company is waiting for regulatory approval to add pancreatic cancer, melanoma and atrial fibrillation to its test regime. It's a tool that identifies somebody's individual risk versus the population. One that could help save lives. Jackie Quist, 7 News.
Yeah. No, thanks. No, thanks. But so they're, you know, groundbreaking new and, you know, maybe there's something they're doing new. But here's here's some examples of how this has been some groundbreaking new step for a while now. Saliva samples can reveal reveal serious illness back in 2013. You read it for yourself. Same kind of point. Groundbreaking new step. We'll find ways to use your DNA to. Yeah, same thing. 2020 saliva diagnosis as a disease predicator. Right. It's the same exact kind of thing. Now, I'm not saying that this, these weren't maybe building steps to get there. I just think it's interesting how they choose to frame these things the way they want to, so you find it, so you perceive it the way they want you to. Right? Usually, it's not the way there it comes across. Here is one from 2021. Saliva test may predict severity of COVID-19 even. just seems like it's being repackaged and resold to you in different ways over the years, like most of this stuff. Either way, I, 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 don't, I don't think anybody can miss their clear desire for your biogenetic information. But this brings you to brings us to the flu point of this, and it's a very sad part of the story with this recent death of this six-year-old girl. Don't let's include in this the PCR conversation, the genetic sequence information, and how these tests can be applied and done with whatever they want. Whether we're talking about the flu testing or the SVRSV or strep throat, by the way, streptococcus, which uses the PCR test as well. Shocking. I'm beginning to wonder whether we've been having this game played over our, this wool pulled over our eyes in regard to all of these things and COVID-19 just shook us free from, now we can finally see it. Whether these injections have always been causing myocarditis before the COVID-19 shot, whether these tests have always been abused and high and used to bulk these stories and make them look bigger than they are. We should be asking these questions today very strongly. And I'll make this point here even more clear. And this is a very sad story. Danielle, I think it's me, Cabana. Passed away this week, Richmond News reports, six years old. Hockey player, which is interesting. It says December 3rd, 2022. The sudden passing of this Richmond girl, whoops. Danielle, six years old, was admitted to the British Columbia Children's Hospital with flu symptoms and passed away last week. Now, I, as I understand it from some internal messaging, which I'll show you next, that there's some dispute about that, about whether she was admitted with myocarditis. And that then became, oh, well, it looks like she has the flu, and it was simply reported to you the other way around, right? And the idea is that flu symptoms apparently can mean damn near anything right now. Now, here's what's interesting. Six months ago, without any... Right, okay, here's the point. There, this wasn't tested. At this point, they didn't say, oh, tested, you have flu, come in. No, they said you flu symptoms, and we're going to deal with it. Okay, well, six months ago, that would have said COVID symptoms, and we all know that. Why is it now say flu symptoms? It's happening everywhere. And a little personal note, my grandmother is dealing with something, and the doctor on the phone simply said, oh, it sounds like she has the flu. Okay, so why now is his reflex to say flu instead of COVID? Probably because there's some CDC post to say, well, here's the, the relevance, and now it seems like everything's flu, and so in their mind, it's probably flu. The point is that people are being guided. We are watching this shift, and I called this before, the decoupling of this, so with the right at Omicron, we saw them slowly start decoupling the flu pneumonia concept from the COVID concept and everything starts to go down and it and gets less. My point is that I find it very interesting that these things are just now being denoted as flu before we even know what's happening. But when this entire three-year period, it's been everything is COVID before we know and then we'll go from there. I mean, tell me I'm not the only one seeing that. Now, it says, it says Danielle was taken to the hospital last week when she appeared to be still fighting the flu after her sisters had recovered. She was soon moved to the ICU where she was diagnosed with myocarditis due to the flu. Now, we'll address that next. 
right? The free, now, before we jump to conclusions, the right things to ask for being, to be objective is, can the flu cause myocarditis? Or at the very least, is there any clinical information about that happening before COVID-19, right? And we'll get into it next. But then, of course, what's the other question we should be asking? If we're really going to make this a genuine, you know, inquiry, could the flu shot cause this? Could the COVID shot cause this? Well, we know the COVID shot can cause this, right? So these things all matter in the bigger picture. We'll go into it next. First of all, I've never heard of myocarditis caused by the flu, but that doesn't mean it's not there. Because to be, to be honest, I don't think anybody even really mostly even heard the word myocarditis pre-COVID-19, which says a lot. Then it says she subsequently received two heart procedures and began to breathe on her own last Saturday, but ultimately passed away after suffering a massive stroke. Now, again, the flu in very extreme cases can cause a stroke, usually because the body's temperature has been risen. So, but honestly, from my research, that tends to be like one of the last things like, you know, it's like the end, your body's, your temperature is so high and everything's so bad that you basically have a stroke and then die. That's kind of how that goes in these extreme cases. The, the overlap of flu and stroke is pretty damn rare as far as I've looked into. It does happen. But so can a stroke with a lot of different things. So it's the point is, is this, this, the assumption that this is caused by the flu makes sense. Now, the sad reality of this is that this is how it's being packaged. Now, whether or not she had an injection of either kind, I think is important. And that's not an insult to her or her family, despite how that gets framed, right? That it's, in, that it's un, inappropriate to ask their vaccine status, except it's not to ask it for me if I want to, you know, go into a restaurant or, you know, those kind of things. Like the absurd idea that it makes sense to do so there. Like the point is this matters and we know it does. Now here, oops, why is that over to the side? That's weird. Hold on. That's weird. Anyway, I have it highlighted, right? So it's right there at the top. It says on this post, and this is from a, a local channel, that she died from myocarditis. That's not what it says over there, right? It says she died from a stroke and it was caused by the flu. This one doesn't seem to even mention the flu. This, sa this says she died from myocarditis. Now, they could have gotten it wrong too, right? Local news or any news for that matter. Is, we should question it like all the rest of them, okay? But so there's a little bit of inconsistency here. Now, let's get into, first of all, the clinical information. Now, this is from 2020, December. Influenza myocarditis. Okay, so it does seem that there's some relevance. Other, Except the problem is that it seems to be wildly sparse before 2020, which is something. It tells you something. But you, if you just simply look up influenza-induced myocarditis, you'll find this. But you'll find a lot of vaccination-associated information. Not very, very, very few that tie this to that. And this, this is because even in 2020, this is what it says. Viral myocarditis is not uncommon, but the role of the influenza virus in causing myocarditis is less studied. It is difficult to diagnose influenza myocarditis, right? So it's very clear. This has barely been looked at at this point due to bacterial and viral co-infection during influenza outbreaks. It becomes more difficult to distinguish influenza myocarditis from other causes. That's interesting. Our article provides current information on influenza myocarditis. Now, please take the time to read this. It's a lot of information. It generally comes down to the bottom line that you can read the, 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 how, the mechanisms and how this works and what it can lead to. It's the same kind of idea. The, the gist, in my opinion, is that these things, that the influenza can cause certain things to happen, which cause your body to inflame, which could then potentially lead to these problems. 
Now, that's a really abstract connection, personally. It's more nuanced and specific in that when you read it. But overall, I argue that there's no, like, this directly causes myocarditis. We can prove that like we have with the injection. Rather, that this creates situations that increase the possibility of that being a problem. Not really the same thing. But read it for yourself. But it says, we searched Medline and Embase using relevant medical subject heading terms. So what they did was search these archives for the two things popping up together. Now, that does not prove that, they did. They, for instance, you get myocarditis like in this case, and they go, the flu caused it. But did they even ask whether the injection caused that first? We know how that goes today, and it's the same in 2020. But here's the most interesting part, I find. It says, a study done by uh, Yukimura et al. showed that during the H1N1 false pandemic, which is what it was, here's even the WHO calling specifically H1N1 a culture of fear and a pandemic of fear. Just so we're clear on that, these are two individuals from the WHO saying that. I've shown you that many times. But I just love how it continues to this day to be pointed out as a pandemic, even though it very clearly was not. It says among 58 total cases of influenza myocarditis, which is simply the, 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 a case of where they argue people got myocarditis after having the flu. But again, there's no discussion about whether the shot even causes that in these. You can re, look at the source material for yourself. 36 patients had fulminant <clears throat> myocarditis. Remember, that means non-light, non like not serious. I, here, I'll just, I'll just do this again so you guys can see it. It says severe and sudden in onset. Oh, no, excuse me. I, I, I said it backwards. Because the, the study we referenced before, it was non-fulament cases have the increase of, of myocarditis. So the non-serious cases can increase your mortality from 26 to 50, 25 to 56% over the next 10 years. That was an NIH study. I'm glad I said it right because it would have been confusing. So the point is, they say patients that had serious myocarditis, 36 of them had serious myocarditis, 14 patients with influenza myocarditis died. But that's out of the entire what they claim is the H1N1 pandemic, which they argue there's a lot of numbers, the point in their narrative. But the point is that that doesn't seem to be wildly prevalent. A study by Kumar et al. reports seven total cases of influenza myocarditis during the pandemic, which is very different than the other study right above it, but with a high mortality rate. Okay, so then it says conclusions. Influenza myocarditis is a rare condition associated not proven, but associated with influenza virus infection. And the complications of influenza myocarditis are even rarer. So serious myocarditis can be a fatal complication with high mortality. So there should be increased awareness about influenza myocarditis. Okay, so all of that goes back to the point that there's an association. But you could, again, you can associate myocarditis with a lot of different things. It doesn't mean that they're causing that. But this, it could be. Let's put it that way. Based on this research, it's possible for that to happen. But it seems rare and even rarer that it becomes serious. So that's in 2020 they're saying this, okay? Now, the next thing I came to find when you're researching this exact overlap, actually when specifically searching influenza-induced myocarditis, there was a bunch more that came up about specifically vaccines causing it. I find that really, that's interesting because today it's the other way around. It seems those things get buried, but maybe there's just that, it's very clear. If this is undefined and not much done in 2020, that this wasn't happening before 2020, at least not enough to be worth research. But yet there's, at this point, back to 2016, a lot more research. It's like 10 to 1, as far as I could see, of people looking into the other side of this. Post-vaccination, myositis, 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 and myocarditis in a previously healthy male. The immunological literature has been re redefining clinical phenomena as hypotheses emerging regarding causal links between triggers, 
immunologic manifestations (laughs) and their specific inflammatory cascades. It's very interesting. Of late, autoimmune manifestations that appear to be caused by an external adjuvant have been grouped into complex syndrome referred to as autoimmune inflammatory syndrome induced by adjuvants. Asia. Which, by the way, is like a catch-all for vaccines causing these problems, which is interesting to me. The direct definition of adjuvants applied after initial treatment or for cancer, especially to suppress secondary tumor formation, the substance which enhances the body's immune response to an antigen, antigen being, so antigens being things in the vaccines, injections, and then adjuvants being added to help those things work better, right? So the point being that what they're talking about is this kind of catch-all for autoimmune inflammatory problems. Like, it, this has so clearly been shelved and couched and hidden for a long time now. And that's why we can see the explosion of problems since the act of 1986 and how they've been controlling this for a long time. There is evidence in the literature linking vaccines to different autoimmune manifestations. It's not hard to see how clear this is. And I think there was only one other part, maybe it's the next one. Okay, so this was just one case. Here's the more clear one, I think. This is in 2022, in August. Acute lymphocyte myocarditis associated with influenza vaccination. An elderly patient was admitted to our hospital for acute heart failure soon after receiving influenza vaccination. A histopathological evaluation indicated active myocarditis, and it suggests that influenza vaccination was responsible for heart failure due to acute lymphocyte myocarditis. Right. So you have lots of information of possible connections to the influenza vaccination. You then have all of the in, the general inflammatory mechanisms of these injections that can lead to it the same way they argue that the influence itself can. But for some reason, everyone ignores this connection when they talk about what happened to these people, right? And you'll find this all over the place, whether we're talking about COVID-19 injections or anything else. My point is not to say we know. My point is to say that it's very clear that there's not a defined discussion here, yet this girl dies and they go, oh, flu did it. Even though, as it appears, that, that she was most likely injected. First of all, here is where she is. And as somebody points out, this, somebody sent me these pictures this morning that in British Columbia, remember, COVID-19 vaccines for children six months to 11 years old, which would include her, are safe and effective at preventing severe illness. Then it also says, get a free flu shot and the vaccine of COVID-19 at the same time. Because we know it's safe? No, no, we don't. We have no evidence that it shows that's safe, but we're going to tell you to do it anyway because that's what the CDC and our government's told us to do. In case you guys haven't seen it, leave that there for you guys to research for yourselves. The information from both the FDA, the EEU, the CDC, and everybody else that says, we don't know, they have not been performed, how they interact. So it could kill you tomorrow, like it seems like we see happening. But nobody knows for sure, but go ahead and do it anyway, because vaccines are good no matter what, right? That's what we're supposed to say. Well, here is a post by Dennis Cabana, who is her, her father, that's been removed, that simply says, to all you that believe your Facebook and YouTube research, justifying your beliefs that vaccines are evil, keep researching, and you'll find essential oils, cleanses, and prayer groups that'll negate all vaccine side effects. Vaccine research up here, you know, in the lab, and then anti-vaccine mom research on the toilet. You know, repackaged old meme we've seen before. So it's pretty clear this person is very, has a very strong opinion about people that say vaccines don't work, and a very strong opinion about how vaccines do. Here is a breakdown of a, a, a thread from some, that somebody sent me about the people asking about this from behind, saying, is there any information about whether this, this girl got the jab? 
<clears throat> and this person says the parents seem quite pro jab. But then this person says, following up says, yes, I have a friend who is part of their extended family saying that she confirmed that the child was injected and so on. And the, the doctors literally drilled a hole into her heart to increase its blood flow only to be met with rapid clots and the blend, blah, blah, blah. So these are, you know, things that we can't verify, but seems to be connected to the conversation. The bottom line is it's pretty clear these people are pro jab. But however you look at this, this story, regardless of any of that information, doesn't really make much sense. At the very least, it seems that we're guessing. And I don't know why that would be the case. Massive stroke, myocarditis. What does this sound like to you? Then on top of that, let's just say this is exactly what it looks like. Are we not going to ask the question about whether the reason this got so severe un uncharacteristically that this is because of her immune system struggling because of the injections? Nope, nope. No one's going to ask these questions at all because it's conspiracy theory, right? Here is Canada... Or, excuse, this is a, a, well, it's framed as Canada's healthcare crisis. It's a pediatric nurse talking about discharging, or I think it's a, actually a doctor. I believe so. Discharging patients in their, in respite patients, basically recovering patients. So staff are deployed to children's hospitals where there's not enough staff for the surgeon patients. Now, what I'm going to get into next in the, in the strep throat part of this is that it does not, it seems that this is already being hyped in a very alarming way. Now, let's look, first take it like, look at it this way. Assuming that this is exactly what's happening and it's overwhelming and all the hospitals are, let's just take that at face value for the conversation first. Do we ask why? Does anybody want to, is anybody questioning why we see this uncharacteristic surge? Well, of course, they're going to say because lockdown. But that's not what's happening. And I'll show you more about that in a second. At the very least, it's not how the immune system works. Kids weren't locked in their homes ubiquitously across the whole country or in Canada for two years straight. That's not what happened. There was months at which there were lockdowns and there was restrictions in general for intermittently for a long period of time. But look, the most, the majority of children were not in their room locked down without any engagement whatsoever. At the very least, they were engaging with their parents still, which were going to for to work. Bottom line is, you could argue there would be some kind of a reduction of, of some engagement. Even if it was two years straight, that's not how the immune system works. What they're trying to, I guess, shoehorn into the conversation is the way that they pretend it's working today. Well, that your immune system wanes and you have to get more shots. That's not how this works. That is the those are the shots destroying your immune system and causing you to have to get something else. The reality is, as we understand from before, that in most cases, you have immunity. Your body does remember, and you continue to make antibodies, right? You got chicken pox, you have immunity. Do, do I now suffer from chicken pox every year because I don't see kids every year? No, we, that's not how it worked. But apparently today, they just pretend like that's the new style, right? So now they're going to say, these kids didn't see as many kids, therefore, they're all dying from the flu and RSV and strep throat. Not buying it. The science doesn't back that up, and neither does the reality of what we're looking at right now. But here they are arguing that these hospitals are already overwhelmed. You know why? I argue because these kids have gotten injected and because their immune systems are destroyed, and we're watching kids drop like flies, and it's disgusting. Now, that is happening, by the way. Whether or not that's what this is or entirely, that's up for debate. But these things are hurting people, as plenty of people on the inside are beginning to scream. And I'll make that clear more in a moment. Let me play just a part of this. Yeah, I wish we didn't have to do this. I'd rather be doing other things, but it's important. Well, I'm glad you made some time, sir, because this is a top story, not only in Calgary and Alberta, but really across the country. We're seeing this tremendous pressure on the healthcare system. Can I ask you to just... Same thing happens every damn year. 
right? You've seen the memes. The NIH or the Canada or the United States. Every year, we're overwhelmed. The NHS is underwhelmed. The UK is the one I've seen the meme for, but you can find it everywhere. Acting like we're overwhelmed every single year. You know why? I'll show you again in a minute because the hype is how they sell vaccines. And that's directly stated on the HHS rapid response. And it was openly said at a vaccine, uh, not symposium, but a vaccine uh, convention where the CDC and all the rest of them were there and they were being sold on how to increase vaccine uptake. And how, what was the argument? Scare people. That's, I, it's right in the documentation. And so every single year they come out and go, oh my God, the flu is going to be bad. And everyone's going to get sick and we got to make sure we do this and X, Y, the same thing every single time. Now, does that mean it's not happening today? No, can't prove that. But at the very least, we should factor in, well, they hype it every year. So does that fact, does it make a difference on whether they're actually scared now? Yes, it does. Give us your reaction to the news about the pediatric hospice and all those patients being discharged. I'm immensely saddened. Um, not not just for the kids. I mean, it's 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 devastating for them. Um, but what is happening in our society? Like, it wasn't that long ago that when our adult ICUs were overwhelmed, when our adult hospitals were overwhelmed, when were they? Now, sure, there's examples of this in some places, but look, the reality was this has been debunked countless times. Entire hospitals built that never got used. Entire ships built that never got used. And and the reality being that they got caught lying about this in numerous examples, hyping the numbers that weren't true, and that got exposed. They were forced to admit that. Then we realize on top of that, one of the things they did, which makes no sense to me, which which was shut down entire hospitals and only use the ICU, which has like 12 to 15 beds in most cases. Then when those beds got overfilled, they acted like the hospital was overrun. Why wouldn't you just turn the rest of the hospital into at least some kind of repurposing? Nope, nope. So 15 beds is overwhelmed. Then you pretend like we're overwhelmed, which you frame as, you know, the the hospital full to the brim. Now, I'm not saying that there wasn't some examples of this, but at the very least, it's questionable that it was what they said it was. But here it is being towed just like everything else. Adults were dying, that we were willing to do something to protect those adults. We were willing. And he's talking about restrictions, lockdowns, masks. And here comes the call for why aren't we doing this for the kids? Why aren't we destroying their lives, too, even though we already did? To you know, decrease our 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 uh, connections, our, our social interactions. We were willing to wear a mask, these simple things. Yeah, right. The things that are now clearly being proven, even though I did it in 2020, to be not statistically significant in reducing transmission. I actually have a really funny point about that. I'll show you in a second. Um, and yet now we have kids that are overwhelming our, our healthcare system. We've had two... Overwhelming. Is that what's happening right now? Or is it overwhelming the health system? I, I really don't think so. And on top of that, we're talking about what we'll get into the RSV, the strep throat. Like it's, we're ta- so we're talking about the flu right now. I mean, as far as they're telling you, it's everywhere, right? Depending on the map, it's all purple or it's all red. Everything's overwhelmed. Everybody's getting sick. But when you look at the numbers, it's really not that much crazier than I mean, the point is that it's hyped already. And I can almost guarantee that it will get to that point because that's what they're telling you. They're going to test for it. They're going to find it. They're going to hype it. They're going to show you these things because that's what's being created. Now, I argue a lot of these people are struggling and just like they were before, but they weren't showing you that because it was too tightly associated with the vaccine. Now that they can dump it on something else, it's going to be everywhere. Now, these are my opinions, but part of that, that, what I said is true. If whether or not that's the entire picture is up for debate, I believe it is. Two pediatric deaths so far this influenza season. Um, um, 
And yet now we have kids that are overwhelming our, our healthcare system. We've had two two pediatric deaths so far this influenza season. Yeah, okay, two. Which is sad. Kids dying is sad. Two? Two kids have died. Now, I'm going to prove to you next why this is happening, at least in many of these locations, because what they've done is scared people into thinking, get them there now, because it's an extra serious season. So if they've got the sniffles, get them in quick. Okay, so two kids have died in this area, in, in, in the, the Calgary, it looks like we're talking about. Okay, is that extra, extra extraordinarily hot? No, not really. But then we can ask the question about whether they're actually dying from the flu, whether there's something, because there's so much to this. But the main point here, is that that's not actually that crazy compared to previous years. And all we're really seeing is that he's saying they're overwhelmed. So that means they're overwhelmed with cases at this point anyway. And again, I'll show you next why I think that's happening. Then consider that absurd contradiction of saying, oh, you got COVID? Stay home until you're about to die. Then come let us know so we can intubate you and help you die. As opposed to the flu, which historically is dry, mostly not. I mean, that's what we compare COVID to and act like, well, it's not. It's, the flu is just way less. Yet now we're in the flu season, but they're going, oh, my God, hurry up and get in there quickly before it gets worse. How do you explain that? Um, in Alberta. and Alberta, and yet, excuse me. Our politicians um, are just shrugging their shoulders saying, well, I guess we can't do anything. We're trying to build up the sides of the tub by doing things like closing hospices and moving uh, healthcare workers around, but we're not willing to turn off the taps to stop the tab from overflowing. I, I, I guess that means we should be locking down, masking, controlling the flow of your life, right? Why aren't we saving the children? That This is his argument. Now, who knows if it comes from a good place or not? Some of these people are actually confused about what's going on, in my opinion, and believe that that's the right move which blows my mind based on like literally every provable piece of peer-reviewed science that we've talked about that calls out every single part of this. But here's where we are, right? We're overwhelmed. Can't you tell? The point is, pediatric basically saying he doesn't recognize the society we're living in. Oh, is this? It's funny. I didn't see this before. It looks like the same guy. Let's see. Yeah? With the mask on? Oh, maybe not. I don't want to jump to conclusions. It's too fuzzy to see. Same guy who flew, I don't know. So going forward, here's the actual link that they post. Calgary Pediatric Hospice discharges all respite patients, redeploying staff at Children's Hospitals. Surge in respiratory illness. That's it. That's all we get. That's it. Now, we should very clearly note when we see the opaque information delivery. Sort of like died suddenly with no more information. And we go, wait a minute. At what point in history did they ever skip over something like that? Ever. You know, unexpectedly. Right? This four-year-old died last night from natural causes. What? Like, it just, there's, it, there's so many examples like that, and there's no diving into the information. So in this case, when we're, the entire focus of the article is kids dying from illness, and the one thing they don't go into is the illness, what does that tell you? I mean, it's just so transparent. This was December 2nd. A surge in respiratory illness. So that means whatever they want it to mean, right? Before that, it would have been a surge in COVID. And we all know that. Now, suddenly, it's just respiratory illness. So is that flu? Is it RSV? Is it strep throat? Is it COVID? It's all of it. We don't know. They're dying and sick. Just focus on that. Or is it vaccine-derived illness that's being repackaged? Or any number of other things that are adjacent to that. But that's all it says. The whole thing, due to a surge in respiratory viruses. The rest of it is just narrative, fill in, nothing else. It blows me away. 
Now, here is one of the things they're arguing as part of this. Killer infection. Heartbroken dad of girl five who is, nine, who is the ninth child to die from strep A. Streptococcus. Which, by the way, I'm not going to get into deep today, but don't forget the overlap with this of the masks they're wearing. Which absolutely can increase this exact problem. 100%. We've talked about the Candidus aura. All these overlapping things. The, the, one of the things that are in your mouth specifically is Streptococcus. And that was one of the biggest... Go back to my earliest work on the masks and that problem. It was I've talked about this in depth. Today, we're going to focus on the other parts of this. This was, of course, posted on the 6th, then updated on the 6th <laughs> later that night. Who God knows what they changed. Never get to know because, you know, journalism. But it says, the dad of the five-year-old girl who became the ninth child to die after contracting strep A has paid a heartfelt tribute to his daughter. Now, the entire article, and it's sad. It really is sad. And I feel for people that have lost a child because nobody should have to go through that. But the, 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 what bothers me is how this is being repackaged and used. It's more disgusting for this article to use emotion to sell you a narrative than it is for us to ask whether this is actually what happened. But that this entire, 90% of this article is emotional manipulation, talking about what the dad, how sad it was and how the, you know, it, that's all it is. Now, if all you wanted was, was, you know, some kind of sad sob story to be upset about, well, that's not news, is it? This is emotional ploys and it, it's insulting. It really is insulting that they would use this dog, this girl's life to push an idea because that's what's happening. But as it says, and first of all, just so we're clear, we're talking about nine people, nine kids so far. Nine kids that have died from strep, and this is posted on, so, they, so we're told anyway, posted on the 6th today. So there's a strep A epidemic, if you listen to people talking about online right now. Nine kids. Now I'll go into the information about how not, what that compares to previous years. Now it says, quote, to assist in supporting our pupils and staff at this sad time, additional trained staff from the Education Authority Critical Incident Response Team have been engaged and will provide support to the school. Really? So nine kids in total have died. I argue I think it's two from this school. I just don't want to go back and find it. I think it was one other kid. And at this school, they've deployed the Education Authority Critical in Incident Response Team because of the ben typically benign strep throat that usually goes around, that's usually pretty mild, that most kids have no problem with because this kid died, which is sad. And you see where I'm going with this? This is how we're treating basic things in the biosecurity state. But on top of that, maybe it's not a basic thing because we're not really dealing with strep. However you look at it, it's concerning. Mr. Murphy said, it is vitally important that all schools are immediately provided with the pertinent advice from the PHA and the employing authorities in identifying the symptoms and appropriate actions that need to be taken to protect pupils, staff, and school communities to prevent further tragedies related to this current outbreak. Because apparently it's an outbreak, even though it happens every year and it's basically benign. But now because somebody died, which by the way happens every year, because what the point is, strep A can turn into scarlet fever, which is also pretty benign these, this, in this day and age. It's a basic thing they give them and it's not that big of a deal, but historically it was something big. But then that can lead to something much more severe if let to let going on untouched. But right now with what we have, which is comparably not that much more severe, a current outbreak, that's just because we're in the biosecurity state. You know, didn't you know there's a gigantic cold outbreak all over the country right now, right? It says, it is understood that she became unwell last week and was taken to the Royal Belfast Hospital for sick children where she was treated in intensive care for three days before sadly passing away Monday night. 
So the question is whether she was brought there because she was severely ill and how that was treated or was brought there and then got sick, just out of curiosity. Either way, what she's dealing with could not be this because we're using a PCR test to find out, which I'll show you next. But also on top of that, that nobody asks whether or not the thing that's been proven in some cases to diminish your immune system, according to Moderna and Pfizer's own documentation, according to numerous peer-reviewed studies, including one that literally finds that the, the lymphocytopenia, the dysregulation of your immune system as a result of these injections. No one's going to ask whether that might be causing these kids to get exponentially more sick. Explain that to me. Because we're talking about peer-reviewed science here. Not that it means you should trust it blindly, but that this is what they're telling you you should blindly trust. That's interesting, isn't it? Now, it says diagnosed with a severe form of strep A. Now, same point as before. Why aren't we asking why these normally benign things that we act like we're just a normal process of being a kid, the flu, strep A, or strep throat, RSV, or even the monkeypox conversation where they said it's basically impossible to share. It's very hard to share. It's not very deadly. But suddenly, when they first tried to make it a big deal, all they could talk about was how it was not uh, it was uncharacteristically dangerous and weirdly just disappeared, even though they continue to reinitiate the monkeypox emergency, because that all adds up, right? But why we don't ask why they're different? Now, if they are actually different, and this isn't just repackaging vaccine side effects— could it not be because you put out some genetic manipulation into the world and it is causing these things to change sort of the way it's causing variants to pop up if you believe that's what's happening? They've already been forced to admit that now. I mean, the WHO just said with 90% of people with some form of immunity, that's the perfect situation for variants to pop up. Yeah, that's what we've been saying because it's not the unvaccinated causing them. Too bad you let that out of the gate. But it says her death takes the number of children known to have died from the illness which usually only causes, again, a mild sore throat and temperature, but can be life-threatening to nine. So why did it suddenly change to being something different? Was it only bad for her, but everyone else were still dealing with a mild problem? Well, no, that's not how they're packaging this. They're saying this is dangerous this time. Lockdowns during the pandemic when kids were trapped indoors are being blamed for the outbreak. At the very least, the Sun just says that's what people are saying. I'll show you the next articles where they straight up go, this is what is happening which is not, there's no way they're proving that. And it's, I, point blank, not the point. It's not what's happening. And I'll make, an, I'll make a few points about that. As cases of scarlet fever and strep A sweep across the UK, right? Is that what's happening? Sweep across the UK, an outbreak. The terminology is very specific and intentional, in my opinion. Several primary schools have made the decision to close. Oh, so now we're closing schools again based on something that happens every year. And at a point right now where we do, it is more than we've seen in the past, but it's not, I mean, it's hard to say, basically you can frame it like if nine kids have died and only four kids died before, well, that's a, almost, it's a more than hundred percent increase, but is it actually something that we should be shutting schools down for when we don't really know what this is or what's causing it? And it's not that much more severe when we're talking about most kids. Shutting down schools is wildly damaging to these people. And we've proven that they've proven that, but Mike, I point out every time this is still their go-to response. When, when they argue the next COVID-19 is here, they're going to do lockdowns. They're going to force masks. They're going to quarantine. Despite everything we all seem to know about those things, they're still setting, they're already set in place. That's what the WHO pandemic treaty is currently talking about. How does that make sense to anybody? We're going to close schools again? Yeah. Didn't that destroy their lives? Yes, it did. 
Nobody seems to care about that in the mainstream conversation. St. Vincent's Voluntary Catholic Academy, voluntary, that's an interesting name, in whole shut down for a deep clean on Friday after a small number of children came down with a bug. So see my point? So this place, because of the narrative circulating, see kids with something they get every year, and because of what the narrative is, they just shut the whole school down. Does that make sense? It shouldn't. The UK Health Security Agency said last time there was an intensive period of strep A infection was in 2018, when four deaths were recorded. Okay, there's your point. So four deaths to nine. At this moment, that's a lot more, that's more than double what we've seen before. But the real question is whether it is actually more severe or this is being caused by something else. In response to the outbreak, Downing Street yesterday said it can fully understand that parents are concerned by rising strep A cases, but stressed the NHS is well prepared for such situations. Don't you love that? So as out of one side of their mouth, they're screaming about how we're about to be overwhelmed. But on the other side, don't worry, we're good and prepared. So it's because it, this is how this works today. They want you to feel that we're not the ones trying to make you scared, even though that's exactly what they're doing. Don't worry. It's totally benign. There's no big deal. But then they put out the people in the news. They go, you're all going to die. And they get run into the hospital. It's, is it well prepared? You just told us you're overwhelmed. On top of that, the NHS or the CDC or any of these groups never seem to be well prepared. They always say they are and then point out after the fact we were prepared. <laughs> we didn't have enough of, what, of, of whatever we needed every single time. The bacteria we know causes a mild infection, which is easily treated with antibiotics, and in rare circumstances, it can get into the bloodstream and cause serious... This is what we're talking about. This is the concern? If it's different now, why? The point is antibiotics, right? But guess what? They're now prescribing antibiotics to anybody who thinks they have this, which is a guaranteed way to make sure this eventually gets worse. Maybe that's already what's happening. Nobody wants to talk about the antibiotic problem which we all seem to know, but nobody seems to care about. The Sun's Dr. Jeff Foster said strep A is one of the most common bugs doctors see in kids every year, but that it's currently surging. Like last year. (laughs) Quote, this year's not a new variant. It's the post-COVID effects as kids were not exposed to bugs for two years. What a broad statement. That's not true for almost all of them. But the ones that maybe they were, it still doesn't make sense. And he knows that. Your immune system doesn't just stop working because you didn't come in contact with somebody else. That's just simply not the reality. I've had numerous conversations with all sorts of doctors and experts on this exact topic. That's ridiculous. Data from the UK Health Security Agency shows that there were 851 cases of scarlet fever in the week ending November 20th. Now, I question whether they were actually scarlet fever or that's just what they said, because all it really is is the same issue with a, with, a, with a specific kind of rash. And yes, in the history, it was something that killed a lot of people. But in the case today, it's they say antibiotics, you're fine. This is compared to 186 cases recorded in previous years. OK, that is the interesting part to me. I mean, what? It's like a four to five times increase in the cases we're talking about. And only a doubling of the death if that's actually what's happening. So the real question is, what the hell is the difference? You don't just pretend this makes sense, especially because if all it was was lockdown, you're not going to see a four four to five time increase in the problem. It's just not how this works. I plan on probably, I I need to reconnect with a few of these people that we have in the past. James Lyons-Weiler, for example, I'm having back on. Maybe we can talk about this. Anyway, going forward, quote, it is important parents are on the lookout for symptoms and see a doctor as quickly as possible so it can stop the infection from becoming serious. Isn't that interesting? But the thing they tell you is the biggest pandemic in a century, 
You think you're getting sick with that? Well, you just stay home and let us know when you're about to die. Does that add up to anybody? Making sense? Well, this is a self-fulfilling prophecy. What are the symptoms? The sniffles. A cough. So, if you have literally any symptom, rush your kid into the hospital. Just in case. And guess what? We'll give him antibiotics, guaranteeing that the antibiotic problem gets worse, which is also sort of a long-term self-fulfilling prophecy if it's not already happening. But on top of that, you overwhelm the hospitals with people that aren't very sick. See how that works? Here's the BBC. I just want to point out links to bacterial infection. So all we're saying here is that we think this is the cause. But it says children were asked to attend a clinic to be seen by a doctor and receive a preventative course of antibiotics. See? So the point is they go in there when they think they might be sick and they give them antibiotics anyway. Despite the fact that in other conversations, people are pointing as that as one of the biggest problems. But it says seven children in England and one in Wales have died due to complications from a strep A bacterial infection. Now this was... Uh, well, that's interesting. This seems to contradict. The, this, this seems to add up to eight. That's interesting. Seems the, oh, the other article said nine, so maybe there's a discrepancy here. Either way, this is linked, linked to these infections, so we don't even know for sure. The UK is experiencing an outbreak because, see, because the BBC knows, right? For two years during COVID, children did not mix. That's just not even true. And their systems are not immune to a number of different effects. So they are actually trying to sell you on the idea that if you just don't come in contact with something you've already gone through and already developed immunity to, that you'll slowly lose that. Nope, nope, nope. That's just how your broken vaccine works. Or at least how you're pretending it does. Think about how crazy that is. So by that very definition, shouldn't we all be getting chicken pox all the time? Or what about somebody that goes on some kind of safari or, you know, whatever else you want to talk about. The point is, there's a, a thousand examples of how that's not true. There is a warning that the number of cases of both strep A and scarlet fever will rise in the coming weeks. Gee, I wonder how they know that. Because like, they're already saying it and they're going to start looking for it, which means they're going to find what they're looking for. And the main point on top of that is what they're using to find it. Oh, actually, before we get, well, since I said it, here is that discussion. This is back from 2013. Detection of streplococcal by quantitative PCR test. And just so we're clear, we're talking about specifically gas or group A streplococcus. Strep streptococcus. I'm sorry, I'm saying it incorrectly. I'm saying I think that's like staphylococcus. It's streptococcus. Streptococcus. That's interesting. I was saying streplococcus. That was incorrect in case you guys caught that. Anyway, we're talking about the same thing. Group A version of strep throat and using PCR to test for it. Isn't that fantastic? Now, I'm not saying PCR should be just roundly dismissed. It has its purposes. But the way they're using it, I think we've been being played for a long time. Don't forget the epidemic that wasn't in 2007. That set the tone. They learned that they could use this PCR test to fake something. I showed you that from the New York Times many times. Uh, maybe it won't even come up. Let's see. Oh, nope. See if it comes up. I bet you it doesn't. Of course not. <laughs> I'll find it. No, the pandemic that wasn't, that's something different. I'll have to look at that. That's, that's hilarious. By the way, that's the exact title. And of course it doesn't come up. But I, I don't, I, I'll just take time to find it right now because it'll derail the show. But yeah, I've shown it to you many times. It's a New York Times article that has been deleted and now you have to use the Wayback Machine to find it. Or actually, no, it's behind a paywall now, which they never do for old articles, which is very telling. But the point is that they knew. With the, it was a whooping cough outbreak and it turned out not a single case of whooping cough actually existed. 
And the doctors on the record said it's because of the over reliance on specifically the PCR test and that this will happen again. And guess what? They were right. But here's what Turn has to say. Almost everything I would agree with. First of all, and this is the most important part, there is no immunity to strep A. And this has been discussed by a lot of people today that there's no, they call it, they know, uh, what did they say before? A, I'm blanking on the term. Anyway, the point is there is just a functioning immune system. Avoiding strep A in 2020 does not make you vulnerable in strep A in 2022. Oops. This is what we're generally talking about, but it says having a damaged immune system makes you vulnerable to strep A in 2022. Yes. But then loses it in the end. SARS-CoV-2 damages your immune system. Oh, almost there. Almost there. Now, first of all, I if SARS-CoV-2 is actually there, I would argue based on what we understand about the spike protein, it probably does too. But the reality is the injection is destroying your immune system. It is absolutely based on their own research. The Pfizer specifically during Delta showed a 75% negative efficacy because your immune system collapsed. It shows a, an increase in the risk of getting sick in general by 50% in the first week. And the point is that and most of this is hurting you. And all of it when you look at the side effects. But either way, the point is the same. And this isn't just because of the immunity issue in regard to strep A, which you should look into. It's just there's a different term for what I'm blanking on. But the bottom line is that ultimately, anything you're immune to does not just suddenly disappear because you are blocked away. But either way, this is something that's been going on for a while. This is 2019. Now, my point to showing you this is to show you that the way they frame this today are acting like this is some kind of out of control thing. But here's something they've been talking about for a long time. You know why? To justify building an injection, which is what they're doing. And guess what? It's mRNA. Strep A bacteria kill half a million people a year. Why don't we have a vaccine? And this is the point. It says group A strep or strep A ranks among the most destructive pathogens on earth. Now, is that what's the truth or is this them selling you on the need for a vaccine? Either way, the point is we already have the data and it does not seem to be. I mean, the general consensus today is that it's pretty it's not that serious. Most people recover from it. It's something kids deal with and we've dealt with it forever. This is saying it's a very serious problem and, you know, goes on to talk about strep throat and then often cleared with antibiotics, which is the point we're making before. But in lower income countries, infections more common and people are less likely to receive effective treatment. But it says that can untreated can cause heart disease and cause heart valves to leak. The point, though, is that this is a world discussion, right? Strep A's annual death toll stands at over half a million. It's a public health catastrophe, they said in 2019, and one that's crying out for a vaccine. Experts say making one is feasible. There have been some recent breakthroughs and several vaccine candidates are in trials, but actually having a vaccine available has remained on a cons constantly retreating horizon for decades. Why? Maybe because there's something more going on. Well, I, th I think that was it in here. Here's where I'm going with this. Oh, one more thing on this part of it. The shock of strep. Rapid deaths due to group of st A, strep, streptococcus. I keep saying it wrong. March 18th, 2018, Strep streptococcus pyogenes, also known as group A, responsible for several million infections each year. Of those infected, approximately 1,100 to 1,600 people die each year due to invasive disease. Right? So we're nine kids. I mean, just it doesn't seem they're hyping something because of an agenda, in my opinion. Why certain individuals contract severe infection is not known. I find it interesting. You read more into this, you'll find that that's kind of an interesting part. Why, that, that there's no real diagnosis of why this becomes what it does. 
And I think that there's more to this when we talk about things like we mentioned about fibromyalgia or these different, or SIDS or SADS or these things where there's not a clearly defined mechanism. We just have a consensus about what they think that does or a catch-all for terms. And we pretend like, pretend like that's a diagnosis. I wonder if there's more about what this really is. And maybe this all stems back to a vaccine problem. Just thinking out loud, can't, not proving anything in that regard. But here in 2017, they're already working on specifically a self-amplifying mRNA vaccine for streptococcus. We have developed it, but get, but here's the interesting part. It's not just for that. Maybe this, guys, is why they've been dragging their feet on it because this was grouped into this overarching injection meant to be kind of a universal grouping one. But then, for whatever reason, COVID-19 happened and they stepped into the secondary one, which was the modified RNA injection, even though self-amplifying was the first thing they discovered, which is what I argue this is, or even more so, the self-spreading injection. They said that we've developed a novel technology in 2017 the self-amplifying mRNA or SAM platform, right? Which is based on the synthesis of self-amplifying mRNA formulated and delivered as a vaccine to assess whether the self-amplifying mRNA injection technology could be used for a broader range of targets. We investigated the immunogenicity of efficacy of SAM and efficacy of SAM vaccines, self-amplifying, expressing antigens from group A, gas, which is the same, we're talking about streptococcus and group B, it's right there, streptococcus, as models of bacterial pathogens. So sort of a universal streptococcus injection based on self-amplifying injection technology, which is like, I mean, everything about this is concerning to me, especially since we're not being told the full picture here. The first thing they discovered in this direction was self-amplifying. I made that, I cleared, I showed that using corporate, discussions and their own documentation. So why then did they act like the current thing was the first thing and now the self-amplifying is the next step? Doesn't make sense to me. This is the broader conversation as of 2021. Will the mRNA vaccine platform be the panacea for the development of vaccines against antimicrobial resistant pathogens? And again, why do we have antimicrobial resistant pathogens? Because we overprescribe antibiotics and that's what's happening right now. And so this is a self-fulfilling prophecy. Guess what? When we inevitably create a situation where that's the problem, don't worry, we're working on an mRNA platform for it. Look at that. I mean, everything about this connects in the same way. It's almost as if they're making all of this happen for their own, pl- their own agenda. I mean, I don't look, that may sound like conspiracy theory to somebody that they would create this kind of problem, but based on where we are today and what we know, we need to start realizing that at some level, there are allowances happening that do put you in danger for a larger agenda. Here we are as of today. Guess who's doing it? Moderna. Development of an mRNA vaccine to specifically prevent group A streptococcus. Well, that's weird, right? So they start working on specifically an mRNA vaccine for this exact problem in 2021 to 2022. Now we're at the end of 2022, and guess what? They're seeing a problem everywhere. How much you want to bet this thing gets emergency authorized just in time? Hmm, I wonder. Either way, I don't like the way this is playing out. Now, where are we today? 144. I think I'm going to skip. Basically, this is a a, a six children. This is actually from uh, three days ago. So they're saying six children died from strep A. But the point is. So actually, while you're worrying about this, 
Uh, they also want, they don't worry about this. They want parents to be worrying about flu and go and get their children vaccinated. Just to the end point, she says, while you're worrying about, I mean, no, while you're not worrying about this, my point was the entire thing they're trying to do, oh, it's not that serious and it's not that bad and strep's usually not that bad. But yet you can tell that the whole thing is meant to make you worried about strep. And so I loved at the end where she goes, while you're worried about this, do, I mean, excuse me, while you're not worried about this, go get tested for the flu. Oops. <laughs> the whole point of this, heart, this whole, whole thing is about hyping the idea that we're in some kind of strep problem, except the data and the numbers don't really back it up. Now, as Bernie's tweets points out, more children under 10 have died from what we're being told is strep A in the last six weeks than died from COVID all year. Now, the point is just whether or not it is strep A, the point is that that's, think about what that shows you. Now, of course, her argument is that lockdowns did this, and I don't agree with that. Regardless of that point, though, this is a pretty telling image of an older man wearing a baby as a stab vest, right? Using children to protect you as opposed to the other way around. But think about what that shows you. Like, let's just take it at face value that this is strep, right? Why would they care? So why would the forced injections for COVID when that little, when they were so little affected by it? I mean, they had to lie about the number of kids dying from COVID for the, that number of like 500 kids have been the same this entire time. They've been caught. Everything about these narratives conflate and show, or they not conflate, they show, they contradict and show you that they're making things up. And we're just going to keep going forward, apparently. Here's another interesting point. This is from KRCA. Health officials say part of the problem is immunity declined after people were so careful to limit viral transmission during the pandemic. Right. Now, the flu is getting more. Guess what? Flu is back. Right. Just like before, everything's coming back into season now that COVID quietly disappeared. Right. It's insane to pretend like this isn't the most obvious thing we've ever seen. This is rolling back out. Everybody's getting it. Northern California flu hospitalizations spike across the region. December 4th, also updated at some unknown time with some unknown information. California is reporting very high flu levels this month, according to the Centers for Disease Control. Health officials are urging people to get their flu shots as hospitals fill up. Wait a minute. I thought they were filling up with RSV. Oh, wait. I thought they were filling up with strep A. Oh, I guess they're filling up with the flu. Oh, maybe it's COVID, depending on who you ask, right? I think our hospital, like everywhere in Northern California, are seeing increased rates of flu and RSV. And this is really impacting all hospitals in our area. It's the same game, guys. So flu, which is usually pretty benign for most people, RSV, which is usually pretty benign for most people, but yet they're, it's a pandemic, it's an epidemic, it's an outbreak. Are they just repackaging what always happens? Or is this something different? And if it is, why? It's not because of lockdown. Florio said they are seeing a spike in people hospitalized with severe flu symptoms. Again, before this, it would have been called COVID, and we know that. Because they conflated them openly. But now suddenly, at some level, somebody's directing people to now call things flu. I don't know how we missed that. That doesn't, have, that doesn't even have to be dishonest. My point is that people in these positions blindly follow what authority tells them. So they look at what the CDC is reporting and they, they just regurgitate that back out in their practice. Hospitalized with severe flu symptoms. So we already know that all of these things can be conflated with flu symptoms. We also know that the injection is causing exactly that, specifically that. But nobody's going to ask these questions in these fields. Health officials say part of the problem is immunity declined after people were so careful to limit viral transmission. Now the flu is getting more of a chance to spread this season. Okay, so then why didn't it happen the last time or the time before? We weren't locked down this entire time. 
it's just painful to watch them try to make sense of this when there's a thousand different holes. This is like as bad as the the 9-11 inquiry, where it's just like literally everybody's like, well, that completely doesn't add up. That's completely a lie. And they just keep it anyway, which is still there, by the way. That's still their main story. It's ridiculous. People are gathering closer together, not wearing masks. Ah, see, so it's your fault still. And so they haven't been exposed to the flu in a few years, and now we're starting to see it spread. So the flu was there. Even if they pretend it was almost gone, there were reports of flu here and there. The point is, so if it was there, is there argument that it was they weren't coming in contact with it because of the lockdown? Or that the mask was stopping it? Or Which lie are they trying to spin here? Because none of those things were happening. And arguably, there are still a lot of people that are. And you can also point out that there are examples over around the world where there are places that are still doing that. And they're also having, it doesn't make sense. Just like during COVID-19, there were contradictions every single place you looked. How could they have a completely different experience with the exact same things happening over there? I mean, I mean, my point is not that that's not possible, but that nobody's even caring to answer these questions. And all they want to do is shoehorn in the narrative they're supposed to say, which is all they ever do. It's not too late to get your flu vaccine, of course. Of course, this is where it goes. Now, let's just hope it's not the new mRNA thing or some other variation therein. And let's also make sure we realize, I'm just saying that because who God only knows that they claim it's not out yet. But let's also realize that guess what they do every year, which they've been forced to admit many times. Guess. Absolutely from a whole cloth, guess. Whatever they think the next season will be. That's what they're doing. But go get it really quickly because... All the benefits outweigh the risks? Well, how in the world do you even know that when they're guessing? Great question, but nobody cares. The CDC recommends everybody aged six months or older get a flu vaccine every single year. So far this season, there's been at least, get this, 8.7 million illnesses, 7,800 hospitalizations, and 4,500 deaths from the flu nationwide. So we go from basically zero to exploding. I don't buy it. Not for a second, especially since, as we keep pointing out, all of these would have been called COVID months ago, if, you know, if that, just because they were being liberal with the counting or whatever they said. Now, just on a dime, something else. Just to reiterate, since you were talking about this lie, this was the WHO in 2011 saying that both H5N1 and H1N1 were simply pandemics of fear. It was spread because of a culture of fear, worst case thinking out uh, replaced balanced risk assessment in both those pandemics of fear. The exaggerated claims of severe public health threats stemmed primarily from disease advocacy by influenza experts like a Fauci. Disease experts wish to capture public attention and sway resource allocation decisions in the favor of the disease, their interest. Now, what's funny is if that was said on Twitter by somebody like me, it'd be like, you dumb conspiracy theorist. You have no idea. You're not a doctor. Right. These people are, though, both of them who worked for WHO in 2011, experts working at the WHO are telling you this is what happened. And you still dismute, dismiss it because you've decided what the truth is, right? How does that work? Trust the science is whatever my mind tells me that I'm supposed to think because of what somebody told me in the beginning of all this. Apparently. Well, here is the HHS. Uh, technically, it's a doctor writing into the HHS. And this is both of these, by the way, are no longer there. They're just deleted, which is not supposed to happen, which tells you something. But read all of these. Just This is just cursory points to make points for today. But again, as we're talking about flu and flu everywhere and people getting myocarditis from flu and strokes and all this different stuff, what we need to remember is even at its peak, it wasn't the flu. It was pneumonia. 
and a small splash of flu. So we are watching the game played yet again. And at one point, when I argue they want to make flu look like they've succeeded, they will decouple pneumonia from flu and act like we have a pneumonia problem or just name pneumonia something else. Because that is what this very thing is calling out. The fact that they, this says U.S. data on influenza deaths are false and misleading, says this doctor writing to the HHS. The CDC acknowledges a difference between flu and, and flu-associated death, yet uses them interchangeably. Nobody, and they, they acknowledge that, but nobody wants to change it. It is, even as they say here, is a marketing of fear. According to the CDC's own data, quote, influenza and pneumonia together took 62,034 lives in 2001, 61,777 of which were attributed to pneumonia. 257 out of that 62,000 were flu, but only 18 of those were actually even tested for. So what are we talking about? We're talking about an illusion. Now, the point here at the bottom is what they're really trying to call out here, which is the same thing a lot of these people called out. At the 2004 National Influenza Vaccine Summit, which why that is even necessary is beyond me, the co-sponsored by the CDC and the American Medical Association, Glenn Nowak, Associate Director for the Communications at the NIP, spoke to these people, including the CDC and the American Medical Association, about using the media to boost demand for vaccines. One step of the seven-step recipe for generating interest and demand for flu vaccination, they wrote or spoke, occurs when, quote, medical experts and public health authorities publicly state concern and alarm and urge vaccination. Understand that's whether or not it's happening. And of course, and predict dire outcomes. Another step entails, this is their presentation, Quote, continued reports that influenza is causing severe illness and or affecting lots of people, helping foster the perception that many people are susceptible to a bad case of influenza. The whole point being this is regardless of whether that's actually happening. And the reality being the season they were talking about was wildly inconsequential. So they were concerned because people weren't getting flu shots because why they didn't need them. So their answer, fear. And this is why these things are deleted. So here we are at a point where they're hyping all of this yet again in a way to try to keep the biosecurity state going. Meanwhile, they maintain states of emergency for COVID-19, for monkeypox, and God knows what else just to keep us going. Now, to really show you something important here, I think to one of the most important parts of the day, the expose using UK government data. UK government quietly confirms COVID vaccinated children are up to 137 times more likely to die than unvaccinated children, proving COVID vaccination is causing significant numbers of death. One of the many ways that's being proven, despite all the experts who are now standing up and going, I knew it. I see it. I'm sorry to tell you these are bad. Every Dr. Ultra, I mean, many of them, Dr. Drew, all these people stepping out of the spot, the mainstream sphere and saying these things are bad. They're hurting people. Nobody should take these. People in the Norwegian health ministry are saying, well, I, I, I wouldn't even take them. <laughs> it's amazing that we're still doing this in this country in contrast to what other entire countries are doing. It's blowing me away. It just shows you what a clear US-centric agenda this seems to be, or at the very least certain powers. I would argue at this point, it seems China, the US, the UK, Canada, Australia, New Zealand. I mean, they're the most out of their minds in this whole thing. But this data is clear. And I challenge you to look at it for yourself. Don't just look at this article or listen to me. Read the data because it's impossible to deny. Now, you could argue the data's wrong. You could argue that this is not the full picture, but this, this is their data. And when taken at face value, it very clearly shows you exactly what they're talking about. 
Now, it says a UK government agency known as the Office for National Statistics, the ONS, recently published their new data on deaths by vaccination status in England. Here's the entire breakdown. You can see them and it goes down the previous reports as well. I have downloaded it, by the way. But as I pointed out the other day, for some strange, I I shouldn't say strange, for some obvious reason, now it's not a PDF or like an official UK government page. No, it downloads to whatever your, I think on on Apple's, it's numbers on, on PCs. I forget what it is now. You know, it's like, it's like a, like an outlook or an outlook, but like a, uh, what am I blanking on the terms? My God, I can't. Anyway, it's like, it's like one of your 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 applications on your computer where it downloads it onto that application and you can break it down in numbers, but it's completely editable and it's no way to verify that it's actually that. If you showed somebody that, they'd be like, you wrote that on your computer because that's what it looks like. So it's a guaranteed way to make sure that you only have to go to them to look at it. And then when you try to break it down, oh, here's a good example. It's right here. Like you can see this. Excel, that's what I was trying to look for. Excel. You Most people know Excel in PC world, right? So that's what this is. It breaks it down for you on your own computer in an Excel spreadsheet. <laughs> it's like, why, why would that make sense to anybody? Because then you could literally just change the numbers yourself, which you can. My point is, though, don't take their word for it. Look at the material because you can prove it for yourself. But that's very telling that they would do it that way when they used to post it because I think they want it to be impossible to prove. Either way, it's all there for you to look at and you can download it for yourself. And it does show you this. The latest data set from the ONS is titled Deaths by Vaccination Status. England first, January 1st, 2021 to the 31st of May, 2022. And it can be accessed on their site. And you can, as always, good on them. Here's the links where you can check it for yourself. Table six of the data set contains data on deaths involving COVID-19, deaths not involving COVID-19, and all cause deaths by group, age group in England between January 1st 2021 and May 31st, 2022, and it includes the number of deaths among children aged 10 to 14 by vaccination status and teenagers aged 15 to 19 by vaccination status. However, this is really telling too, and again, look at it for yourself and you will see it. However, it is quite clear from the data that the ONS are intentionally being tra- not being transparent as we would like them to be. And I, I say intentionally, that's not what they wrote. I believe, I mean, it's impossible not to see it this way. This is because they fail to provide the death rate per 100,000 for those age groups, whereas they provided it for every other group. <laughs> it's like, come on. It's so clear there's an effort to hide because the per 100,000 risk is exactly what they told you you were supposed to look at. And then when it started proving out to show you that even on their breakdown, that they were four to five times more likely to get sick if they were vaccinated, then they go, you don't understand, and they censor the whole thing. And here we are still, where they, now they're hiding that number. But their point is, if you understand how this works, it's at, well, I'll just keep reading. It says, for example, here's a snapshot of the data from table one of the data set showing the death rate per 100,000 by vaccination status. You can look at it for yourself. Please download these. Unfortunately for the ONS, they have failed in their attempts to disguise the horrific mortality rates among COVID-19 vaccinated children because they still provide with enough information for us to calculate it for yourself. They do. The snapshot on the data on deaths among children 10 to 14 in this time frame and their vaccination status, the data right here in this graph, which you can see, includes the number of deaths and the number of person years among each group. So all they need to do was divide each vaccination group person by years by 100,000 and then divide the number of deaths among each vaccination group by the answer to the previous equation. Two, work out the mortality rates above vaccination status. Here's the 
mathematical equation for you right there. The following two charts show the mortality rates by vaccination status per 100,000 person years among children aged 10 to 14 in England for the period of what we just discussed, January 1st, 2021 to May 31st, 2022, according to the figures provided by the ONS. Now, they made these, but you can compare the breakdown to the actual information from their own source material. The point is unbelievably shocking. I mean, it's just overwhelming. I mean, just look for your, I mean, just a quick cursory glance, unvaccinated over here. This is three doses right here, right? We're talking about non-COVID deaths versus orange being COVID-19 deaths and all deaths being being uh, blue. Now it's down here. It says mortality rates by vaccination status per 100,000 person years, red being 10 to 14. Look at that. <laughs> Shocking. Now it says due to the large amount of information contained in the above charts, we've cherry picked the most significant findings in this chart to make it very clear to see. Now, it says, in regard to COVID-19 deaths, the ONS reveals that the mortality rate among unvaccinated children, specifically 10 to 14, equates to 0.31. But in regards to one dose vaccinated children, the mortality rate equates to 3.24 per 100,000 in person, per 100,000 person years. And in regards to triple vaccinated, that equates to 41.29 per 100,000 person years. So unvaccinated, 0.31 per 100,000 person years. Three shots, 41.29. My God. These figures, reveals, these figures reveal that unvaccinated children are much less likely to die of COVID-19 than children who have had the COVID-19 injection, which is completely counterintuitive. I just blows me away. Now to go further into this. Oh, and I want to include this, by the way, even though it's ridiculously been retracted, this is the very real and important study put out by James Lyons-Weiler and Paul Thomas, specifically in the relative incident of office visits and cumulative rates of bill diagnoses along the axis of vaccination. Otherwise, meaning how many times these kids had to go to the office, the doctor's office, whether they were vaccinated or unvaccinated in the first period of their life. It's undeniable. Now, they used practices of pedi pediatric practices and looked at the visits broken down by vaccination status or not vaccination status. I mean, it's, un it's remarkably obvious and very clear. I don't know how they're pretending this is un undefined, but that's what they actually try to say. Here's the retraction notice following publication, which again is absurd because that means it went through peer review process right? It was peer reviewed by other experts. They had no problems. Then it gets published. Then crybabies who don't like what it says, scream at the platform. The editor then takes it down. That's not how that's supposed to work. It already went through peer reviewed process. This is a secondary politicized process where they just do what, I mean, who knows how that goes? It's undefined. But it says following publication and peer review, concerns were brought to the attention of the editorial office regarding the validity of the conclusions. So I guess now the editorial team is, is, is now claiming they're more educated and more versed on this than the actual experts they use for peer review process. Think about how crazy that is. And, and by the way, as Robert Malone points out, this, where the editorial team pulls down peer-reviewed studies after the fact, without even, without, oh, in this case, they did tell them, but it's happened before where they, they weren't even notified. In this case, they were, but they didn't agree. It's unprecedented. It's never happened before this. Adhering to our complaints procedure, an investigation was conducted that raised several methodological issues and confirmed that the conclusions were not supported by strong scientific evidence. 
I challenge you to read this for yourself and realize how blatantly that's incorrect. What's the, what are the method, method, methodological issues? Oh, that's right. They don't have to tell you. They just state that and then remove it. The article was therefore retracted. It, it was approved by the editorial, the editorial editor-in-chief. That's it. The authors did not agree. Challenge, look at it for yourself, and, and, and it'll hopefully blow your mind if you don't realize how politicized this process is today. Because it is very real. And guess what they found? That the kids that were vaccinated were exponentially, I mean, not even more at risk, they were, but simply that the vaccinated kids were in and out of the hospital exponentially more than the kids that weren't vaccinated. Simple as that. Danny Rancourt has another important study. His latest article. Now, actually, for in, in interest of time, I'm gonna I'm gonna go through this in depth in another show because it deserves that. I, I was gonna go through it today, but I'm gonna plan on looking through this more. The va- he, he writes in his latest article, the vaccine in April to July 2021 in India, probable cause of deaths of 3.7 million residents with a vaccine fatality per dose rate of of one percent. I think it's under one percent. Learn how and why. Now, what's interesting to me is India specifically in this time frame, there's the overlap of the use and then the no longer use of ivermectin. A lot of interesting things here. The point, though, is his, his article, his study, in, I'll read the abstract. India experienced a unique, sudden, unprecedented, and extraordinarily large excess all-cause mortality event in April to July 2021, which is not adequately explained as a second wave, or being caused by a new variant of concern. After an overview of four recently published studies that have quantified the April to July 2021 excess all-cause mortality event, we give 10 numbered arguments as to why we conclude that the extraordinary mortality event was caused by India's vaccine rollout in the early stages. Therefore, it appears that the early rollout of the vaccine in India, April to July 2021, was devastating, causing, causing the deaths of approximately 3.7 million residents. That's a big statement on administering approximately 350 million doses of the vaccine. Now, don't forget in the, uh, I forget the name of the location now, Pradesh something. In the chat, if you remember where it was, let me know. But remember this, we, we pointed this out in the beginning and it was fake news because everything was at that point early in the conversation that there was an ex- explosion of these unexplainable things. Remember? And all they said was it was something in the water, right? It was water contamination. Well, guess what? We can look back now and realize what happened was exactly what we're seeing everywhere else today. And I pointed this out. You know why? Because in that location, right next to it, they were doing a vaccine study. You remember that? We were on that right in the beginning of all this. And all we pointed out was there it is. And it happened right there. Could it be? Possibly. Censored. I think we know now, don't we? But his point is in in this exact location, maybe there's more to this, but uh, here, down here, you'll find the 10 different discussion uh, points. There's a lot into this, so I don't want to minimize it. I'm going to go through this in the future, but please read this for yourself. It's very thorough. And Danny Rancourt continues to do excellent work in this discussion. Now here's turn the same person before making almost an out, in my opinion, sound argument also adds this to the conversation, which shows you that they very clearly buy the line about how serious this is, even though they can point out the lie about strep seems to be a manipulation. They say there's no plan to stop children being repeatedly infected by COVID in schools. Think about that. Okay, let's think about that. What's the current risk right now? According to the most recent breakdown by the Ioannidis team, October 13th, the median, the average infection fatality rate for 0 to 19 years old, 0.0003%. 20 to 29 is 0.003. 
Okay. So kids, and by the way, in general, I think it was like 0.03 to 0.05 overall average, like around the world. But if you're at that low of risk, what are we talking about? And why are we concerned? And what they mean, what with no plan, what's the plan? Obviously, injections, lockdowns, masks, quarantines, the same thing. Okay. So what are we asking here? Are we literally calling for more control over children's lives, despite the fact that what we just looked at is more evidence that it's hurting them, or the fact that the information we can discuss in general about vaccines shows you that these kids are being hurt by these things? I mean, or I mean, any number of discussions we could have or everything we talked about today or the myocarditis risk or everything else where we could possibly throw at this conversation. And all we want to do is control these children, force these children to do what we think they're supposed to do. Blows me away. Well, this is a great point to make. Just a meme. Four people or a small number of people give a restaurant a bad review on Yelp. And you look for a different place to eat or many people do. I argue the same people trusting what the doctors tell them and so on. Tens of thousands of people tell you that the injections hurt them. And you keep going back and bringing your kids. I mean, really think about that. I think the difference is we've been trained to think that these experts are, they know better. Whereas you're happy to take somebody else's opinion on a restaurant. The point is still the same, that you are letting people influence your decision in one way, but ignoring them in the other. I don't know why that makes sense to anybody. It's a good point. Now I've got a couple of videos shared by Adam Rowland, by the way. I'm going to bring up his interview I had before I get past these, these videos. This is Senator Jer- Jared Rennick blowing this thing up. I mean, very, very well done. And he is clearly frustrated by this. And I mean, this is basically him lecturing the entire co- uh, uh, minister, Congress ministry. It's in Australia. What do they call it again? The cabinet. <laughs> That's what he's basically doing. But but he, but he has every right to, because every single one of them in there have been pushing the injection. It's safe and effective, and despite the evidence. So, he, listen for yourself. I mean, he's really calling them out. And nothing happened there. Almost 140,000 jab injuries. More than all the injuries reported from vaccines since 1971. More than all the injuries put together. You've got an injury rate that's three times higher and yet the TGA don't want to look at the signal. The whole point of having a database where doctors report these injuries, where they tick the box suspected, and as the doctors say, they don't fill these forms out because they don't have the spare time. They don't have a lazy 20 or 30 minutes sitting around filling these forms out if someone uh, fell off a bike. No, no, they're ticking uh, these boxes because they believe that the vaccine caused the injury that they are reporting. And yet the uh, TGA, want to pretend that there's nothing to see here. And why wouldn't they? Because Professor Skerritt is head of an organisation uh, that is funded by Big Pharma. That is funded by Big Pharma. Now, if you want to talk about a conflict of interest, that's it. That's it. And these guys have no idea what they are talking about. I asked Professor Brendan Murphy, who was the chief health officer at the time, whether or not he'd actually read the non-clinical report into the Pfizer vaccine. Guess what? He hadn't read it. Despite that, he'd been saying for the last uh, a couple of days earlier that the spike protein wasn't in the blood. Well, had he read the report, he would have known that they never even tested the spike protein. And they would have. Now, an important point to make here, guys, is that, you know, you don't know whether these these people in, in positions of authority are just don't care 
and are just repeating what they're told because it works for them, or they know about this and are hiding it. Either way, well, let's just take the first example. This goes into what we keep pointing out. Right, that there are people out there that way people are being trained on Twitter right now. That you're supposed to trust people that feed you information at certain levels. That it's okay to do so. In fact, it's intelligent to do so because that's what smart people do. Right, that's how we're being trained. And and many of these people in positions of power in the U.S. and the U.K. and Canada and Australia are they they actually think that. So they sit there with their smug look and act like this guy's an idiot because he we we look what CDC told us and we said what they said. We're we're smart and you're dumb, or they're all well aware that they are hurting and killing children and they don't care. Either way you look at it, it blows me away. But just think about that because this is what the manipulation I'm seeing in the world right now in regard to the social media aspect. They are trying to set up a world where we essentially accept these intermediaries of flows of information instead of asking for source material. Instead of reading the document, we say what the CDC said that document said. Or when KJP is directly asked about whether we know those are actually Omicron variants or we're just being told, she goes, the CDC told us, you stupid. It's like, well, that's my point. How do we know that they're... They don't get it. Also known that when they did the animal trials, that the report said there was no difference in lung inflammation between the placebo group and the vaccinated group after nine days. There was not one skerrick of evidence that showed that that vaccine was effective. But did anyone in this chamber right here, right now, actually read that report? I bet you not. But you all went out there and said it was safe and effective where you didn't have a clue what you did. And of course, Senator, uh, uh, sorry, uh, Brendan Murphy, the Chief Health Officer, claims that there's nothing to worry about. He never read the document. And then we've got Professor Kelly. Of course, he came out and made the bold statement that it stops transmission. Well, he was lying because the FDA came out in December 20 and said that there was no evidence that the vaccine stopped transmission. And when I pressed him on it, there's no trials to show that there's any IGA in the mucosal system. We, ju- we literally just played this exchange, remember, with, between him and the three people on the panel. And he was surprisingly calm. But you can tell that he was doing this to lead to this, to be able to publicly call them out for how clearly they were lying or were not informed as people in positions that are supposed to know what's going on. Okay, you don't have to take my word for it. Go and speak to Robert Clancy, Australia's foremost immunologist and vaccinologist. Okay, he's retired. You can trust this guy. He's not on the take from Big Pharma. Question everybody. Or the big universities that aren't actually interested in research. They're just interested in lining their own pockets. And then, of course, we've got the vaccine injury scheme, which is just a joke. And today and last night and day after day for the last 15 months, I get contacted by people who have had their lives destroyed by this vaccine, a vaccine that the government said was safe and effective. And if that isn't bad enough, that they, these people, and I'm looking at you people in this chamber here today, didn't read the documents, that took over someone else's body because it suited your narrative, hmm. your command and control narrative, you showed no humanity. No humanity. There are people out there that have not only injured, they have lost their jobs and they cannot get medical support to help them. There are husbands and wives of injured couples who've had to quit their jobs to stay home and look after those people who are, are being injured are an incredible amount. Huh. My God, you know, it, it, you could clearly tell how frustrated he is. 
I just, you know, and, and you can almost, like, you pause, go watch this video, pause, and zoom in on the faces of these people. They could care less. They couldn't care less. They're just sitting there with their smug looks on their face, acting like, look at this conspiracy theorist. Or they're well aware they're murdering children. They're going like, we don't care what you think. How are you going to look at it? It makes me sick. It actually turns my stomach because you know he's right. Because we've proven that he's right. And it is literally everywhere. And one by one, people in these positions are slowly starting to come along to saying, well, it's just never been more clear. Now here, Bernie's tweets points out, in the UK, the government is outdoing itself on medical interventions for children who don't need it. You know, children that are 0.0003% risk of dying are now being sold. Yeah, go get this new injection. You know, the new bivalent crossover garbage for six-month-olds to four-year-olds. Oh, is it proof? No, no, it's been authorized, emergency authorized, like all the rest of it, because that's how this works. It's because they say it's met their required safety, whatever that means. Is it safe? No, they met our required safety, but it's not very safe, though. Unbelievable. Absolutely mind-blowing. Now, here is the interview I had with Adam Rowland. Now, this, this was a moving target interview, but it's, it was publicly posted because I just felt like it was too important not to, 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 too important to put behind a paywall. Even though I always do release the podcast, this is the interview and the video, and everybody, please take the time to watch this. It's unbelievable. Now, this guy worked with, with high-level athletes. He's, he has, he's, he's educated on these topics and it's unreal what he's dealing with. It's, it's really sad. And there is ways you can support him if you want to help him out in regard to what he's dealing with. Because I mean, that, that's the point he's making. People's lives are being destroyed, debilitating bills and medical treatments that they have to deal with. And then these doctors are telling them it's in their head half the time. I mean, it's a hard, it's, it's hard to watch almost. And there's emotional parts. I actually, I actually been meaning to reach back out to him. I want to connect with Adam again and talk about, you know, we are, one of the things we talk about was setting up some kind of a, an, a platform or an effort for people in those positions to find help because nobody's there for them right now. And it really is difficult. Now, a few sp- random points here to finish. One, two, three, four, six points to finish. Just that are, some of them are not really connected. I just wanted to include these. Some of them are funny. Some of them are interesting. This one's kind of humorous based on what we're talking about today. Now, I just talked about this. Brownstone.org put out the, the article, which links to the study, but you can read it for yourself. I've been screaming about this since 2020 because it's easy to prove. Not even any fives work to stop COVID or, or flu or anything else for that matter because they are not statistically significant in reducing transmission, right? I didn't say stop. I said reducing. That means they do to a degree, but they're not statistically significant, meaning it makes no real difference. It's as much as you just, you know, put your hand in front of your face or, or any number of other things. It's not statistically significant, which is all that really matters in any kind of scientific conversation. If it's not statistically significant, it's meaningless to wear. It's a flip of the coin, right? On top of that, which there, this guy would argue, probably deny, it also increases your risk of infection. It adds all sorts of other problems, but that's not the point today. My point is that one sentence, not statistically significant in reducing transmission, right? So this guy says, it's not about stopping. It's about reducing risk in overall setting. One may find onset endurance. Okay. So what did he not understand about reduce, not statistically significant in exactly what he says it's doing? So he's, it's not, he says it's reducing risk. Okay. Well, if it's not statistically significant, then it doesn't matter. As I said, let me say it again, not statistically significant in reducing transmission. Oops. Right there. When he responds again, like I'm kind of blown away. What is going on here? 
I'm kind of blown away. But Twitter has been acting really crazy for me, by the way. I don't know anybody else. Things not loading, doesn't matter. But then he responds again. Does not stop. Reduces risk. And I stood back. I, I literally sat back for a second. I'm like, am I, is he trolling me? <laughs> like, I can't even believe. I said, I hope you are playing with me. Because if not, you are a case study of what propaganda can do to basic logic. Your response? Narrative. Right? So you point out the facts and your response is to, well, the narrative no, it doesn't do that. Are you even listening to what I'm saying? Or are you just trained to regurgitate what the narrative says you're supposed to say? That looks like your response. Let's see what he says. Nope. Regardless of mask, the results show way more did not get it versus small. No- okay, so he just doesn't care about, he just reiterating what he says, despite the study we just posted, which is peer-reviewed, by the way. That means the risk was reduced no matter the mask. But it wasn't statistically significant, even according to the CDC. But keep, see, this is my point about the what he's decided the truth is, which is no longer even aligning with what the science of the people he's supposed to be listening to are even saying anymore. But because he's decided, he'll find the one person or the one th- thing that says, and, oh, that's the truth. What they're saying is fake. And if they say it, that means they're conspiracy theorists. It's mind-blowing. I get to decide every day what risk I'm willing to take or not. Not you. Okay, are you, are you pretending I'm telling you not to wear a mask? You can do whatever you want, guy. You can put 13 of them on your head. I don't care. The point is you think that. Are you playing with me? How, how hilarious. I just think this is hilarious. I could not find your not stat quote anywhere in this AI and study. I didn't say it was in that study, buddy. I do agree with only one comment, unethical study without a control. Of course. So he picks out the one thing from the study and does not look at what are we, the CDC study, the Lancet study. I mean, I could go off for 45 minutes about these. I called for his removal in March after this weapons designed virus first escaped. That's interesting. So now he is on the side of, so here's a great example about how it's not a partisan conversation, is it? Cites a Fox News article. I'm not going to assume that this guy's part of left or right, because who knows? He could be in the middle. But it's interesting that he's pointing out that it's a weapons-designed virus, but yet that masks are important and necessary. (laughs) Make sense of that one for me. In any case, guys, what is very clearly the sound logic in anything we've talked about, that's why N95s don't work, that's why the cloth masks don't work, they're not statistically significant in reducing transmission. See, and you can point out the break in logic in pointing out where nowhere in here does it say that that's what that study says. I simply said none of them are and quoted it according to numerous peer-reviewed studies. And apparently that was quickly glossed over and I don't even see that study. Anyway, I just find so fascinated by the breakdown of this stuff. Is anybody questioning that these things, I mean, everywhere you look right now, they are like, even how about the point that when we first started out, it was cloth masks are the only thing you need. And then it just suddenly became, oh, no, it's just N95s. And dutifully probably went, oh, okay, now this is the right story. Blows me away. Here's another interesting one. James Melville points out, what would you do? So here's a girl. And I bet you, I, I bet you, uh, Michael here was all about this. You take someone on a date and they start eating like this. What do you do? It gets worse. Oh, here we go. Best part. Better get those fingers, right? Oh, yeah. Lick those fingers. You know, because the only, because as long as you got a mask on your chin, 
the virus you're scared of won't get on your fingers, right? Because that makes sense. I mean, seriously? Like, okay, like, why wear a mask if you don't think you're in danger of getting sick? Right? That's the first part. So clearly, she believes there's a virus and the mask is keeping her safe. I don't know how, unless, unless it's become a safety blanket for her. Then, at the table, at a public location, eating using public utensils and public ever you lick your fingers i mean i mean this, this is the kind of broke down like so these people are the kind of people that will use their mask to pick up dog poop and put it back on or we've all seen these images but yet argue that the mask itself is what's sanitary or you know continue to eat all the horrible food and weigh 500 pounds but think that this is keeping you healthy the problem is that they don't they think that thing is all you need but licking your fingers is somehow okay I mean, it's, it, this is idiocracy. I mean, it's unbelievable, as I said. And then licks her fingers, you know, because safety first, right? <laughs> it's just mind-blowing, the kind of dumb things we are seeing today. This is actually pretty hilarious. And this speaks to, this is like kind of a, a small point that speaks to the whole thing, right? So here, this is something called COVID arm. Kind of like COVID toe we joke about, right? Delayed hypersensitivity reactions to SARS-CoV-2 vaccines. Oh, okay. Well, wait a minute. Okay, the term COVID arm, COVID arm, has been coined to describe a harmless, delayed hypersensitivity reaction occurring approximately a week after COVID? No, after getting the injection. Okay, why is it called COVID arm then? You tell me. (laughs) Because everything's COVID. The vaccine causes it? COVID arm. Of course. Vaccine kills you? COVID did it. Might as well make sense. I mean, doesn't that just speak to everything? COVID arm is the vaccine cause problem. You got to love that, right? Here's something else. And this is actually an important thing. House to repeal military vaccine mandate. Seems to be good news. We'll see if it actually happens. This is today in defense bill, despite Biden opposition. Decision comes one day after Biden White House calls specifically for keeping the vax mandate in place. They still pretend isn't really there, right? The point is, I'm not going to get in deep because I'm going to wait to see what actually happens. But at the very least, there seems to be some, even if it's just, you know, surface level pushback for advantageous reasons, it's still pushback and they're still trying to make it happen. That's good to see. Don't forget, the military mandate was because they pretended it was approved. And that's what he said. And then they gave emergency shots. There's actually, I'm pretty sure there's legislate uh, um, lawsuits in, going on right now because of that. And they damn well better win, better win because you can prove it. Even if he was wrong or he was manipulated, uh, um, Austin, it doesn't really matter. You so, you told them they had to do it based on the fact that it was approved and then gave them something that wasn't. I don't care if you pretend it's even the same thing, even though it's not. It's a big deal. Two last things, and these are not related, but interesting to me. The Jerusalem Post, this is just kind of interesting, kind of t- stemming off of the whole yay conversation, right? Or Barry Weiss in her previous tweets arguing that it's like a commonplace thing in everyday American life to just hate Jewish people. I mean, the overrepresentation of that is just unbelievable to me. It's sort of like saying if you're white, you're therefore racist. That's the kind of mentality that people have. But the Jerusalem Post put out a, a, a poll. So with their followers, essentially, even though Twitter is public for everybody, that says, do you think Jew jokes are fine to say? Which, by the way, I almost—I mean, it's interesting the way they even phrase that. Jew jokes? Why wouldn't you say either, do you think Jewish jokes are fine to say, or do you think jokes about Jews are fine to say? 
it's very, it's very intentional. It's almost like the idea that the word, and, we, and this is, we all know this, the word Jew is like almost a bad word unless you're Jewish. What, why is that? It's very interesting to me. You know, and the point is that, yeah, look, are there people that hate Jews? Of course. Are there racist people in the world? Of course. But it's the overrepresentation and the use of that concept to censor people that have no, that aren't like that. For instance, pointing at the Israeli government and saying, look at the crime they just committed, and then you get called anti-Semitic because they go, we know, wink, wink, what you're really saying. No, you don't. In fact, I said exactly what I mean. But that gets used by the ADL, by everybody else that's using this concept. And by the way, it's called out by Orthodox Jewish organizations inside of Israel. I make this point every time. But what's very telling about this to me, that first point was just how it's interesting the way they frame that. I think it's intentional. I think this is meant to be inflammatory. Now, let's just first take at face value. This is what was actually voted for. I, I mean, I'm going to question whether this was put out so it could be toned out like this, so they could argue there's a problem, right? They being the Jerusalem Post or whatever organization is driving this point. The point here, though, is that they voted, they, they put this out asking, do you think Jew jokes are fine to say? 66.3% said yes under all circumstances. That is very interesting. Now, first, you know that they're going to point to that and say, see, there's a problem. These people think this is okay. But then there's another question you should ask. Whether or not you think... Now, just to be clear, if you're going to... Should you have a right to make a joke about any race? Yes. Yes, you do. It's called free speech. I have a right to then say I think it's distasteful, bad, racist, whatever. It's also free, also free speech. What's interesting, though, is that you should look at this from a different perspective and ask yourself, let's say it was 99%. What does that mean? It's a whole democracy conversation we were just having. If most people think it's acceptable... And they're the ones coming in going, no, 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 you don't understand. That's inappropriate. Is it? Is it inappropriate if most people think it's not and only certain groups that are in the minority are telling you it is? And I'm not talking about Jewish people. I'm simply talking about a control structure. I just find that very telling. The, the conversation we were having today was about democracy, right? And if democracy voted for something they didn't like, you know, like Trump and the conversation about how they stopped it in 2020, the secret cabal saved democracy. The point is they don't really believe in democracy. They believe in using it as a term to achieve what they want. And if it doesn't go their way, they argue they're allowed to do whatever they want. That's not, I mean, that's ridiculous. It's the same kind of concept. And I just point out the, I want us to ask the question about whether we're in every possible context, politics, anything being driven into what we're supposed to think is the majority concept. And maybe that's not even the case anymore. 25% said it depends on the joke. 5.6, only 5.6% said no and never acceptable. 3.1 said other comment below. Very interesting to me. I almost prom I promise you that's going to be the focus of something. What they said down here is there's a fine line between offensive and funny Jew jokes. And that, that means don't even get into it because you don't know the line. Only Jewish people do. But down here it says, a uh, high impact flicks notes. Why wouldn't they be fine to say? All other jokes are fine. Are you implying that Jews are special, untouchable class of human beings? Now, that's a sensitive thing to say, isn't it? Because then they're going to point out and say, you are claiming that's what they think. And that's, what they, that's not what he said, though, right? I think it's really interesting. This conversation is fleshed out by these conversations. And even me talking about this, asking this, will be called racist and anti-Semitic. Even though anybody that knows me and knows the work we're doing is the exact opposite of everything that I am at a core being, at, a, at the core of my being actively fighting for those without a voice and fighting for people that are being abused by powerful people, whatever their race, whatever their ideology. But this is interesting because it is impl almost implicit in the point. 
I, I find it very fascinating. And this is something that now with the entire Israel conversation has really changed, right? Moments ago, Palestine never existed and they were all terrorists. Remember that? Remember how stupid that was? And yet that was the kind of the, the line. Whereas today, a lot has changed. The Overton window has broken in this conversation. And now really, we can see that Palestinians are still occupied, are still in an apartheid state, and they're still living under a Jewish supremacy government, which is what these apart human rights groups are saying about them. That's not my opinion. That's what they have written down. Amnesty International, Human Rights Watch, Bet Selim, it's right in their discussions. An apartheid state. The Israeli government. Right, which of course is a Zionist entity that is using the Judaism point, which is what the Orthodox Jewish community has pointed out, which is why you can then argue that it's a supremacy state in that concept, sort of like what's happening in Ukraine, but it doesn't mean all of them are one way. Right? It's a fascinating conversation that we will continue to get into. Someone's asking, I did. I've interviewed Brian a few times actually. I wanted to get him back on moving target. Now, last point, again, just random points. This was fascinating to me. Jason Martinez points out a North Philly owner of a gas station says he's had enough violent crime at his gas station. So he's hired these guys to protect his customers and store. Now you can just tell by watching it that some of them seem to be uh, either police officers or like, you know, some level of having a badge. Now the question was, does this make you feel safer or uncomfortable? Now for those in the podcast, what you're looking at is a gas station that, as he says, he's been overrun with violent crime and theft and so on. So he hired what appears to be private security with machine guns or some, you know, whatever you want to call those. That's weird. See, look, see, Twitter's acting all kind of funky for me. Look at that. It's just not even loading now. Half all the all morning today, I was trying to half my pages would stop loading and I couldn't get a refresh. I thought they were censored. Who knows what's going on with Twitter? These, this kind of gun here, and you can see that some of them wearing masks and hoods and so on, and they're patrolling the parking lot, right? Okay. So does that make anybody uncomfortable? I'm not even sure why, unless you just have some weird, you know, like the idea that, like, so you, it's clear that they're there in official capacity. The only reason that would make you uncomfortable is if you have a certain perception about guns, even though it's your constitutional right, and especially in many places, including Tennessee, you have a right to open carry. Now, what I said, the real point, that's, I mean, there's a slant of that that's my political opinion, of course, and in regard to the, you know, which I don't even know why it's a contentious political opinion, even though it's our constitutional right. My real point, though, it's our opinion is irrelevant. This is what, this is the real concept here, other than letting it influence whether or not we choose to use the station services, right? If that bothers you, don't use it. It's their right and their choice to make. The fact that we think that our feelings somehow have an influence over what they're allowed to do is the point of the day. Not this day, I mean, just of the, of the, the zeitgeist today. It's everywhere. Your words are violence. You can't say that. You can't do that. You scare people. You create vaccine hesitancy. Everything about what you do and you say and you is supposed to matter because it changes their opinion. Or because your opinion, it changes their actions. We're being driven in this collectivism mindset, and it's very concerning. That's where I'm going to end today. I just felt like including those at the end because I'm just interesting. I didn't have a place for them today, but there's a lot going on. And a lot of what's happening today is meant to very specifically drive us into a certain mindset, a certain perception with certain actions that are advantageous to the very clear agenda being played out around the Great Reset, the technocratic future, and how this drives us in that direction. So as always, guys, question 
everything. Come to your own conclusions. I love you all. Stay vigilant.